Hello? Someone called about a rental here? You're looking at it. Wait, what's the catch? The place is huge. Anything available for me? Max! Hey! I'm just putting myself in your shoes. Alone. A new apartment, surrounded by strangers. There's something creepy about my apartment. A guy gives you a gorgeous apartment. And that's creepy? The record feature is triggered by movement. So any activity in the apartment will be recorded. These babies will catch anything that moves. I followed you one night. You followed me home. The Resident. Hello and welcome back to Scream Addicts Hammer Pub. I am Jinx, your co-host. I am sitting here with my co-host, Sally Chapel and Paul Farrell. Gang, it's been a while. How is everyone? Living large, you know. <laughs> I'd say I was I was living medium. Like I'm not I'm not quite large, but I'm I'm good. I've got my stone hazy IPA in hand, and I'm I'm feeling ready to uh, talk some movies here. I'm uh, I'm living. Uh, just cut out Starbucks. I'm watching what I eat, but I need to to start doing some cardio hardcore. That's that's about where I'm at. Feeling okay. better. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's finally yeah. nice weather here in Toronto. So I went for my first run today and I was like, Ooh. oh, it feels so good. my body is so out of shape. <laughs> that first time back is always a pain. Yeah. And I'm just I'm oh, afraid yeah. it's been a few weeks and I'm like, oh, this is going to like I'm getting back to it tomorrow. And I'm like, this is going to suck. Just got to stretch. I'm, I'm definitely stretch. Uh, I'm definitely a seasonal runner. I work out all year but like when it comes to running i only run when it's nice outside and yeah i i had my first um my first run of the season like maybe a couple weeks ago and it was it was a painful process uh the legs are not happy Mm. after about five months of dormancy (laughs) when it comes to running i um I it's funny. One of the reasons I haven't been uh, <laughs> jogging, as it were, um, I kind of sort of broke my toe. And oh, I remember um, you mentioning that I, I had to get like a tiny titanium rod inserted into my big toe. Really? Oh, my God. This happen? OK, like half of that is true. I just wanted to be as cool as Paul. All fucking bionic Paul. I was going to say you didn't mention this yeah, at all. This <laughs> you, you said okay. you like sprained your toe or okay. something. I didn't know you had like a problem. There was no titanium rod. That oh, okay. I didn't even break it. I sprained my toe. But I've been told that a sprain is far worse than a break. And I got to tell you, like, folks, I have what broken. My night Florida doctor told you that. <laughs> uh, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um. <laughs> No, it's I, I I tell you folks, I I have broken in my time I've broken both ankles. I've split open my elbow, like literally exposed uh uh, uh what lies beneath my <laughs> layer of skin over my elbow. Uh I've been sucker punched in the nose, had my nose busted. I've uh I I chipped a tooth once before, and I got to tell you like pain-wise my damn big toe Hurts about as much as like anything that I've ever had hurt before. It's ridiculous. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah, so I so I haven't been I haven't been I've been wearing this stupid boot like walking around. I wish I had two of them so I could at least pretend that was, you know, Boris Karloff and Frankenstein. But no, it's I just got the one, so I look kind of stupid just trying to putter about. But but I'm feeling better. I'm okay. I'm gonna That's get back good. to it tomorrow. I'm okay. You know, I'm getting there. Uh it gave me some time to catch up on some stuff, you know, not being all mobile, but uh but yeah. yeah. And mostly, you know, even more painful. Then having a sprained big toe is being away from you all on podcasting. Aww. Aww. We just do too. Now, did I mean that or did I just use that as a crass way to get back to the subject (laughs) at hand, which is this is a podcast and we talk about movies on here. Now, before we talk about the movie at hand, which is, as with every episode, going to be another hammer flick that we provide a running commentary to that we encourage, well, ourselves and listeners to drink along with we are going to talk about some recent watches and uh we've we've got about an hour to do it before we got to press play on the movie don't know that it's going to yeah okay it's going to take that long we're going to use every minute hour coming up because there's a movie that i've been waiting what feels like years it's been months but it feels like (laughs) years to talk about and you know what this is the part of the podcast where i always pretend that i look to my left and say ellie would you like to start us off by picking a movie that you've seen recently that you would like to tell listeners about and then you know we go on the paul and paul you know uh picks one and he talks about it and then we finally get to me well that shit isn't happening tonight what i'm starting us off tonight okay you can start us off I deserve this. I'm scared. I don't know what's about to happen. I know his voice is all low. Okay. What he's talking. I was going to talk about. I was going to talk about Space Cowboys, but if you want to, if you want to go first, that's fine. Yeah, I was going to talk about Ravenous and Only Murders in the Building. I'm Batman. (laughs) Are we talking about Batman? The hell of it is, is that I actually haven't seen the Batman yet. I haven't either. (laughs) I'm actually seeing it on Wednesday. It's my first time back since. uh, Invisible Man. Oh my God, that's awesome! So you're actually so, so I'm going. Yeah, I'm going. Dude, my my like, buddy's taking me. So what? Like two years almost? Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, I think over two years. Yeah. Because yeah. I know uh, it's funny. I just walked out of the theater the other night, and I was like, "Wait!" I was like, "Was it like two years ago when I caught Invisible Man?" Like, uh, I, I watched two movies that last week before I didn't go back for what a friggin' year plus something like that. I watched. Uh, the Lodge, talking about Hammer, and oh, yeah. I watched The Invisible Man, and then I was going to see uh, Bloodshot, because I was a big fan of that comic growing up, and then, like, and it, was just, it, it, it was just <laughs> creepy enough at that point where I was like, you know what, I don't, I don't think I'm going to go to the theater. I'm sure everything will be fine in a month. I'll go then. <clears throat> yep. yep. So... Yes. No, I haven't seen the Batman yet. Uh, I did watch X, which will be fun to talk about. Maybe we can get to that on this podcast. Maybe not. But you know no, what? We're probably not going to. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's so yeah, I haven't good. seen it either, but I really want to. I really want to see it. And I'm seeing it this weekend. And I'm like, I've been avoiding all spoilers so far. All I know is about a porn that gets made in Texas. And I am here for it. Yeah. Never expected it to be like an alien movie. Like that's that's a big third act twist. But okay. uh, oh, shit. Wait a <laughs> second. Oh. Dare oh, you? No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm gonna start spoiling things you love. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, we're moving on. Uh, please don't spoil the Batman for me. Um, and okay. it's Robert Pattinson. <laughs> no, there is uh, there's a movie that I've been wanting to talk about for ages, but um, 
I, I didn't know if Allie had seen it. Well, I, I knew that Paul really, really wanted to see it. And so yeah. rather than trying to talk about it sort mm-hmm. of in a non-spoilery sort of manner, I knew Paul would eventually get around to watching it at some point. So I've just kind of been biding my time. And I, I've seen the movie three times now. Can't say I didn't give it its fair shake. And uh, before I launch in, I just want to preface what's about to happen to this movie by saying that um, I'm a big fan of Radio Silence. Uh, I really like all of the stuff that they did with the bloody disgusting movies, the VHS films. Uh, I think Devil's Due is really underrated. I think Ready or Not is a great movie that I love. It was one of my favorite movies the year that it came out. And... um, you know, I think James Vanderbilt is a great writer. He wrote Zodiac and uh, Guy Busick, who is also a writer. You know, he he wrote Castle Rock or worked on Castle Rock a bit. So, um, yeah, I just want to say all that, you know, uh, that that I'm a fan of all of these people. And these people made Scream, which I'm going to call Scream 5 because it's the fifth Scream. And uh, I was giddy to see this movie as many slasher and horror film fans probably were. I think we were all collectively just itching to see this movie. I I adore the franchise. The first movie is very formative for me. Uh, I love all of the sequels two, three, and four. I think they're top notch entertainment. Um, I, I, I thought radio silence was a great choice to sort of carry on. I was glad that they got all of the legacy characters. <laughs> was glad that they got all of the legacy characters back, uh, for this, uh, this installment. Uh, you know, Kevin Williamson, I think is on board as executive producer. I was, I couldn't have been more pumped to see this movie. And, uh, and then I watched it and I had thoughts and, you know, I, I, have you ever seen a movie that you were so excited to see and you walk out knowing the truth, but you try and convince yourself otherwise, like for a good couple of days, like, Hey, maybe Halloween kills wasn't that bad. Maybe it was just kind of sort of flawed. And then eventually like, you know, the truth dawns and, you know, cold, hard reality settles in. Well, I watched scream five, the fifth scream. Uh, I'm not calling it five cream. I feel like that's been trademarked on another, uh, another podcast that I adore. Um, but no, I, 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 I watched it a second time in theaters and, um, um, I felt like I had a pretty good handle on what I felt about that movie at that point. Nevertheless, watched it a third time. And now I'm absolutely certain that, when it comes to all of the recent reboots of beloved horror franchises that we've had recently that deeply disappointed us, Cough, Candyman, Halloween Kills, I Know What You Did Last Summer, uh, fuck it, am I forgetting anything? Somebody help me. Um, I have to be forgetting something. It feels like there's one more thing. You know what? It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. This is easily the most disappointing of the lot. It is easily the worst movie of the bunch. I am astonished at how angry this movie wound up making me. Um, it made me realize, and this is going to sound snobbish, but fuck it. Um, it th- 
this is the movie that made me realize that maybe I was looking for something different out of these movies than maybe a lot of people who seem to be head over heels and fucking love with this film were looking for. Maybe like when I think scream, I, I think like prestige horror, like just incredibly sharp, smart writing and beautiful filmmaking, just the photography and the, the score, like excellent performances across the board. Uh, something weighty to say about violence, uh, something weighty to say about media, um, you know, specifically the horror genre and movies like, you know, the, the first set of films we have, you know, movies that talk about, well, horror films and then sequels and then trilogies and then, uh, remakes. And, uh, but there was always more to them than simple, <sighs> the meta of it all. And, uh, Paul, poor Paul, everyone out there, listeners, uh, please give Paul a, a, a pat on the back for the many, many text messages he has endured uh, <laughs> that I sent him after he watched the movie. I didn't spoil anything. But um, no, I, one of the things that I told Paul and Paul, if I get this wrong, please correct me. But I, I think I mentioned something like you could tell when you watch the first four screen movies that they were guided by a hand that actually had something to say. You know, they were made by a man who was a professor. Right. Like he. And you feel that in those movies. They're smart and yeah. they, they have depth. And when you watch Scream 5, I get the feeling that movie is made by people who really love the Scream movies. Yeah. And it, it's where that, you know, we've talked about it many times. Paul has brought it up with a handful of movies leading up to this point. The notion that uh, uh, Ghostbusters is another example that I actually really loved. Uh, but we talk about this idea that people decry the notion of fan service. Uh, when they really shouldn't, when it's being employed properly, uh, the only time that we should maybe have an issue with fan service is when it's taking the place of honest to goodness, solid storytelling, you know, and, uh, being a placeholder as opposed to, uh, something that merely complements what, what is happening. And in Scream's case, I think it exists only as an engine to deliver fan service. I, I see damn near no merit to the movie. Um, and here's the thing I, and I know I'm running on its mouth and I'm going to shut up and let you two take the floor here in just a second. Please let me just power down. <laughs> All of that would be fine. I would be okay. I would be disappointed if scream five were merely a subpar slasher movie. I would be like, Hey, that's a bummer. It's a shame. It's a clear step down, but you know what? Maybe it would have been fun. Maybe it would have been fine. But not only does it drop the ball so spectacularly as a follow-up installment to a franchise that I adore, but it seems so damn pleased with itself. Like it's really doing something. It really has something to say. And it does so in this way that seems to foolproof itself against any criticisms whatsoever. And that just makes it absolutely infuriating to me. I, I, I despise this damn movie. I've given it more than enough shots. I don't even care to see Scream 6 now. And I'm not fooling anybody, least of all myself. I know I'm going to watch the damn thing. I am. But am I excited about it? Not, not, not at all. Not remotely. Not even a bit. I'm going to set the mic down for a moment and punch a wall. You two, please <laughs> let me know what you think of this son of a bitching movie. Allie can go first. 
Ellie, uh, if I can stop you here for just a second, let me just say one thing. From this point on, we can go ahead and have kind of a spoiler-filled conversation. I mean, the movie's been playing in theaters for a while now. It's been on VOD for a bit, but it is still so damn new that there is the possibility that listeners out there may not have seen it yet. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, pass the mic over to Future Jinx to let listeners know exactly how much they need to skip ahead to jump over the spoiler-filled conversation. Take it away, Future Jinx! Hi, past self. Uh, Make certain to let listeners know that they need to skip ahead 25 minutes and 39 seconds. Holy cow, did we talk about that movie for a long time. And thank you. Okay, Allie, back to you. Okay, so you guys can't see me, but I'm doing the Ryan Reynolds face in my palm, just like shaking my head. I was so disappointed in this movie. I thought... The whole storyline about how the two people met on Reddit was so fucking dumb and just, it was too millennial for my liking as well. Truly hate the Billy Loomis storyline. I thought that was like, that's like my biggest issue with anything is that when they do like, oh, he has a secret kid or, oh, he has this crazy twin that no one knew about. Like shit like that is such a fucking cop out. Um, the, the, the girl killer, uh, Hated her whole once upon a time in Hollywood fucking ending. That took me out of the story completely. <laughs> already out of the story at this point. Um, also, some big issues where she's the one who. Okay, where is the book? Who kills Dewey? But I'm sorry. She's like, <laughs> like four feet tall. But when she's killing Dewey, she's like over, like standing over him. So that doesn't work out. I truly was just like, why? What was the point of this movie? Like, and now they're signed on to do number six because Courtney Cox has already said that she signed on to do a six one. And it's like, but, but why? Why don't you just stop coming back to Woodsbury? Why don't you just let it go? Plus, what's the next one going to be? Like, Stu is still alive and he has a kid somewhere. Like, oh my God. And just all these like relatives of the former scream people was so dumb like somehow randy had a sister that we didn't know about and she has kids now and they're like totally cool and hipster and oh it was just i wanted it to be good so bad but i followed it up with jackass and jackass is the far superior movie agreed agreed on that I did watch the Jackass trilogy finally by the way (laughs) and that was inspired purely by you two um, but that's that's a conversation for a different day. Um, that's I want to see. Yeah, scream. Um, so I was like so excited for this movie. Um, it was my easily one of the most, and you know what? And I'll almost say like almost to my or its detriment, almost to an unfair level. Uh, my excitement was such. And, um, you know, you two have said a lot. I don't want to reiterate exactly what you said. Um, I'll just agree that I watched it. I was really disappointed. Um, I sat on it for a while. I watched it again. And I listened to a whole bunch of podcasts of people gushing over it and talking about its merits to try to understand maybe what I was missing or, you know, maybe this movie isn't for me. You know, I, I, I sort of understand that, like, and because I've really been grappling with this because the amount of people I respect that really like this movie makes me wonder if, like Jinx said earlier, maybe I am looking for something that this movie isn't attempting to deliver. Um, what I can say is this, my 
if I had to distill <laughs> my biggest issues with the new Scream, it isn't that it's like this poorly made movie. In fact, in a lot of ways, there are fun scenes. There are familiar scenes that I enjoy. There are some really solid kills. There are some clever observations. There are some great bits of dialogue. Some of the characters are enjoyable and smart and and sort of interesting in that Scream movie way. But ultimately, most of the film um, sort of falls victim to the fan fiction it often jokingly refers to itself as. You know, Jinx, you talked about the meta-ness of the movie, and this is truly where the snake eats its own tail. This is when the meta elements of the Scream franchise become the plot. And once that happens, it's not commenting on anything anymore. It's just the comment itself. <laughs> so it's 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 a diversion. It's a hollow diversion of a movie. Um, it doesn't say anything. It doesn't add anything to the conversation. Most of what it's doing is working really hard to remind its audience what it liked about the first movie, which is a really bad play because then all you're doing is thinking about this better movie that you'd rather be watching setting the third. And then, and finally, I think what that boils down to is most of the movie feels like a conversation. The filmmakers are attempting to have with the deceased Wes Craven. Most of the movie is them saying shit like it was an honor or thanks Wes Mm -hmm. Let's have a party for Wes. Like they named one of the, you know, one of the most wasted characters, Wes, an interesting character with a great actor playing him. And then he dies right away. Um, And then the whole third act is a party for Wes. And look, I get it. I mean, that's, you know, I can't imagine what it would be like to make a sequel to one of your favorite filmmakers films. But you, you can't when you build so much in the movie around being appreciative of that. It, it just constantly takes you out of the film and makes it feel, again, like fan fiction. It doesn't feel of a piece with the other movies. It's so concerned with, its, with, with talking about, you know, toxic fandom not getting things that it, that it never provides its audience with something to get. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it's just con- content to just name movie. I mean, for God's sakes, there's, you know, when, when uh, they're talking about elevated horror in the opening act, she's just naming movies. Did she's not that? naming movies to evoke any certain emotion or tone. She's just like, these are elevated horror movies. The Babadook, this, that, the other. And and that's it. That's, oh, that's the idea. Out, don't do a deep dive or anything. Yeah. And that's just, it's just, it's a pale imitation of of what I liked about screen to me ranking these movies. I can't even imagine putting Scream Five in a ranking with them because it doesn't fit. Um, you know, I know people don't like Scream Three, but in my eyes, I like Scream Three. Scream Three is light years, light years ahead of Scream Five. Um, Scream Five is not only the weakest in the series; it's it's barely a movie that I would ever want to revisit. Um, now, having said that, uh, I really liked um, Jenna Ortega. Okay, Jenna Ortega rules in everything. Jenna Ortega was great, and I would be very interested. So here's how you fix Scream 6. 
you go in a totally different direction. <laughs> Follow Jenna Ortega and just do a new slasher because I, frankly, after seeing this, I don't really want to see Sydney and Gail again. I don't want the legacy cast back anymore. I want them to go. They clearly had no in- business being here. Them being in the movie felt like such a weird disconnect from the plot. I mean, half the movie is setting up these new characters and then it becomes the legacy cast show. So it's a really disjointed narrative and there's no emotional through line for the characters you're supposed to care about. And the Melissa Barrera character, I've been thinking a lot about this because at first I, I thought she did a poor job. And then I listened to a couple podcasts and rethought about it. And now I don't think it was really her fault. I think the character is just incredibly flat. There's not much to that character, which is really, really disappointing, given that the whole premise is that she is. So we said spoilers. So she's Billy Loomis's uh, daughter, which, yeah, making everyone related was really stupid. I hated that. Um, But Billy Loomis's daughter parents and that that plot line doesn't pay off like at all. Like they never really like had they actually done something where she sort of, you know, kind of has like a Dexter thing where she might be a serial killer. Hell, make her the killer. Have her have her sort of like wrestle with that more. Um, I think we could have had something really interesting with her. And maybe we do that in the future. Uh, But the movie just isn't interested in giving her a meaty role. She's just sort of there to take us through the motions and then it just broadcasts who the killer is the whole time and then just delivers that in a really disappointing way in like the first conversation they're like it's him yeah and and then it's just very clearly him the whole time and 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 then the motivations of why they're doing it is just so ridiculous like anyway i frankly at the end of the day it's Sorry, go ahead. Isn't it close to the same motivation that Timothy Oliphant had in the second one? Yeah, but that actually had a purpose because in the nineties, like, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm I'm agreeing. Sorry, yeah. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah. So, yeah, yes, it's very similar to the Oliphant stuff. You're absolutely right, and I I just think like again, like you said earlier, you mentioned how Scream Five has a lot of Scream Four stuff in it. Uh, I I totally agree. Like Scream Four is a great Awesome. It's my I, second favorite Scream movie. I, I think Scream 4 is the, the next best Scream after but one. But just pulling too much and, from the other films. Like, yeah, even at, Ghost yeah. Billy Loomis, whereas the third one had Ghost Sydney's mom. Yeah, right. And the third one has, I think, I love the third one, but it has more issues in some ways. Like, uh, some of the Roman stuff is a little bit far-fetched. Like, I mean, the Roman stuff is not that far off from saying Billy has an illegitimate... Like, you had a secret brother. Like, exactly. it's kind of the same thing. In the past films. Right, but it, it worked okay because it was the trilogy thing and, like, yeah. you know, but now we're in movie five. The only other thing I'll say to, in its defense is that when you think about franchises, in all reality, by the time you get to the fifth movie, most of the time they do kind of suck. In comparison, mm. Friday five isn't great. Nightmare five is pretty bad. Like by the time you get to five, you know, a lot of people don't like Halloween five. I like Halloween five, but I don't know that I'd defend it. Like it, I guess in comparison to other franchises, like this is where things go off the rails a little bit. And I do think people are looking at it with rose colored glasses. I think people really wanted a new screen movie. I think they really wanted to love it. Um, I think it was, I I think the performances that the legacy cast bring to the table are wonderful. I think David Arquette has never been better as Dewey. He's phenomenal in this movie. Also, he's somehow 
better looking in this movie than he was in the last one. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, yeah. Am I still yeah, to David or? <laughs> yeah, you're like, am I attracted to rock bottom drunk in a trailer, yeah. David Arquette? <laughs> like, Sheriff anymore? Like, am I attracted to just garbage humans? Oh my god. Right. Like, and so it's really a shame that it's it's wasted on this. So yeah, I I agree. This movie really disappointed me, and I am flummoxed. But when I hear ratings where Scream 5 is ranking two or three in people's favorites. But hey, who am I to say? I mean, everybody gets their own thing. And again, this is clearly aimed at a generation much younger than me. So perhaps I am out of touch. Uh, but regardless, uh, the movie certainly did not work for me. And uh, yeah, that's that's how I feel. I truly do love in this movie, though, that Gail Weathers is now the host of a very popular like syndicated morning show and she could just not do that anymore to just go and have fun in her hometown like in no right. way happen and also go <laughs> scream six in space okay yeah i'm open to pretty much any scream six idea uh as long as it's something very different than what five was i think we need to completely depart or pick back up with you know a different different character or something along those lines yeah either um, and, like reboot it and start it with new people like they tried to do with the tv show or go yeah. way out into left field and like make it happen in hawaii or do like a scream on ice kind of thing like yeah, scream on ice well and you you joked about stew coming back i would i would not be surprised if that happened eventually and that almost was supposed to happen in three yeah. stew was supposed to come back in three turned out he had been alive so it's like it they could very well do that and i mean whatever at this point i mean if if billy had a daughter in i mean come on like anyway as if that wouldn't have come out in a small town but i mean we can't we can't follow the logic of this movie none of it none of it really tracks i but again to give it a few compliments um legacy cast was great i actually thought the kills were pretty solid like i i thought the night like the the quick jabbing stabs like i felt them i thought that like that was the radio silence thing coming through like some of the uh the hard-hitting shit that that they did in um ready or not like the, the quick stab in the cheek or the stab through her hand at the beginning like that shit really did hit hard and i was impressed by it so there's stuff in the movie that does work it's just hard for me to appreciate it given what's around it i guess wow that's i've heard a lot of toxic things out of you too in the last 10 minutes well, well we're the people the movie's complaining about <laughs> super super toxic uh no if this movie is for young people younger people like I, I i think they should demand better um i i it uh... i was so excited for this it just like it hurt my soul I I did, it, yeah, it, was, it was painful and I did, you know, like I, at the very beginning, I noted like what I expect out of a scream movie, and this one to me was almost the antithesis of it. Where, in place of like beautiful cinematography, like this movie, I thought looked kind of cheap and flat, and I, I, I thought the score felt like kind of a bad knockoff of Marco Beltrami, but like I wish it had been more of a knockoff of Marco Beltrami just to be better than what it was. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree with you. The legacy cast, like 
how is it? You're both right about David Arquette. I thought he was absolutely superb in the movie. Like you're right. He's never been better as that character. Like they gave, I've always loved doing everything. I, I, I've always adored Dewey. He's my favorite character. This movie did not earn his death, by the way. Um, well, no, I mean, it didn't and, earn anyone's death. <laughs> well, but I mean, yeah, uh, Matt Feeney, uh, it's funny. I was talking to him and he, he had a very good point about it. He was like, you know, you, you, yeah, it makes sense why you would kill a legacy character halfway through the movie. You want to raise the stakes and make it seem as though no one is safe. I get that. But then when you get to the end of the movie and half the cast walks away, yeah. then what was the point of killing a beloved character in the first place? Really? Um, you know, Courtney Cox and Nev Campbell bless them both. That's a tribute to their talent that they can come in and so obviously phone in their performances and still be more engaging than anybody else on screen while doing so. Um, I, I just, and plus the whole, well, again, I don't know that I would take that away. I thought Jenna Ortega was really good. I yeah, really do think she was awesome in that movie. It's a tribute to how great Jenna Ortega is that we look past the fact that her character should be insanely annoying. Like, yes. Yeah. I, I, I do agree with that. Yeah. I, I, I also prefer the oh, Babadook sorry. really. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. Play. I, I can I also put in a plug for uh, Jasmine Savoy Brown as Mindy Max Martin. She was. Amazing. I thought she was and great, and I really, really liked Wait. who her was character. That? She was the um, the Meeks, like the twin, the Mindy. Oh, okay, yeah. I yeah, liked I thought her. Yeah, I thought she was awesome, and like that's someone I wish the movie had spent more time with, like, and given us a little bit more of, and like that's someone I would see, like, when it comes to a sequel. If if you focused in on like her and, you know, like I said, you know, given give Jenna Ortega more to do, I think like you could make a good sequel with these characters. You just got to get away from like the ABCD Woodsboro shit. I, I, we're just we're past that. Um, and, and, and it only really worked with the core cast. If you if you have a different cast trying to emulate it. While at the same time claiming you're something new, it just feels disingenuous. You know, at least in Scream 2, we're at college. We're in a different place. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's yeah, we're going through a lot of the same motions, but the social construct is different. We're dealing with fraternities and sororities. Aerial new... calls there. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're in like weird, you know, uh, Greek mythology plays, like, crazy shit's going down like each each of those movies attempted something different and then scream four and Allie, again you made a great point like scream four does what this movie is doing like it goes back to woodsboro and introduces introduces us to new characters that live there that are fucking related <laughs> to our, well related to sydney so that it's the same related. Thing. like they know each other they're like right. hey you're my cousin or whatever exactly and it makes way more sense why sydney would go back for that yeah. Versus this movie. I that was one of my biggest issues is it just it was such a lazy way. Like I get you went back for Dewey, but like I just don't believe at this point that she would go back at all for any reason. Like she has I, two I, daughters. She has a husband. Any sense. Why would she come back? And Why then when she, she comes back? back? <laughs> so okay, so if we're supposed to buy then that she does come back, um Boy, she seems sad. 
like her day is ruined, you know, like she she's, you know, it's going to take a day at the spa to get over the fact that this guy died, her big brother equivalent. Like, that's what I was getting out of that performance. Well, uh, I, I, I don't know that I think I because I do think that she showed up for this movie and I think I think she does a good job. I think the script fails her. Sure. I think like a lot of the, you know, what she has to do, given what the what they're asking her to do, it doesn't quite work. But I think um, I think she's respecting the material and the fans. I think that's why she's there. Right. Um, you mentioned and she's uh, trying. You Um, said disingenuous a moment ago, and I got to say one thing, like when beyond simply commenting on movies, the one thing that I really loved about the previous movies is they talk about violence in a really smart way. Like, you know, you get to the end of the first movie and uh, there's always a scapegoat presented for uh, why violent acts occur. You know, uh, you get to the end of the first movie and it's uh, it's all the movie's fault. You get to the end of the second movie and it's like, well, actually parents are to blame. You get to the end of the third movie and you have that great sort of rebuttal to that where, uh, you know, talking about Roman, you yeah. know, Sydney herself tells him, you know, do you know why you choose to hurt people? Do you know why you choose to kill people? Uh, or do you know, fuck do you know why you kill people? It's because you choose to, there is no one else to blame. And then it seemed like with scream four, which was supposed to kick off a new trilogy, like Craven in a really smart way was sort of commenting on where, you know, like influencer culture might go where people might actually start committing violent acts to get that 15 minutes of fame that everybody feels like they're, they're entitled to, you know, uh, horror movies would have it uh, that somebody, dresses up as ghost face and stabs people to death. That's that's the horror movie equivalent of some jackass taking a gun to a, a crowded place and opening fire because they know they're going to get on the nightly news. This movie, and again, it goes back to why I'm so angry at it. Not only does it not really have anything of weight to say, but the problem is, is that it wants us to think that it does uh, when it comes to toxic fandom. But when has there ever i mean do do does the movie do you think the movie feels as though it's predicting this idea that toxic fandom is eventually going to lead to violent acts i mean it, it's it, it seems so wrong headed that notion like it, it it feels like it doesn't have anything genuine to say about violence even for all the violence that's in the movie the violence in the movie is meant to be you know, upsetting or fun at times, but the movie has no concern with it beyond that. And it just, that annoys the shit out of me. Uh, same thing with, you know, each of the previous installments, again, comments on filmmaking trends. We have scary movies, we have sequels, trilogies, and remakes. This one tries to do the thing with requels, which is fine. But then the the only way that they can get to the heart of what they want to do with their villains at the end of it is to create this notion of like this truly toxic fandom that wants to rise up and upset uh, where this where their favorite franchise is gone. And being on Twitter, we certainly have seen a lot of angry fans take pot shots at horror movies, certainly. Like people people get riled up for no reason at all. But to the degree that this movie wants us to believe they they have to co-opt 
what happened in a completely different genre. They even have to name drop Star Wars just to tell us that that's where they're taking this idea from rather than actually dealing with anything genuinely innate to the franchise or I'm sorry, to the genre that they're commenting on. It just, it all seems so fake. It, it, I, I just, it it seems wrong to me. Yeah. And you, you mentioned two things that are really, I like that you said, um, and, and earlier you mentioned that the movie sort of like, kind of positions itself to where it can't be attacked. Like, oh, if you don't like this, you're a toxic fan kind of thing. And then it makes its killer basically a toxic fan, right? Like, so he's like, I don't like where the stab movies are going. So I'm killing people. So I'll get a good stab movie. Which basically means that anyone that doesn't like that movie is is the killer. <laughs> you are them, right? Like, because you wish you had a better screen movie. And so it's sort of projecting, it's like backwards projecting that onto you. And I think it thinks it's being so smart, like, ooh, hold up a mirror to you. And it's like, well, first off, I would never murder someone to get a better movie. That's really stupid. Um, but also, like, this in and of itself feels like it's become a stab movie. You know, like Stab 4, or Stab 4, Scream 4 establishes that the Stab, stab franchise goes off the rails. There's time travel now and all kinds of crazy shit. And, you know, you get that great opening with like three different openings to Stab movies playing one after the other. And, and uh, to me, like you were saying, Jinx, that's where it's saying, OK, in the Stab franchise, the violence is no longer being commented on. It's just being celebrated. And I feel like this new Scream feels more like one of those Stab films than it does a Scream movie. Yeah. Yeah, just make absolutely. a stab movie already. Come on. They should. If they had just done that and called it stab, we'd probably all really like it. Oh, I would because <laughs> we'd be like, oh, this is such a good, this is such a good shitty version of Scream. <laughs> <laughs> they did a great job with Stab Nine or whatever it would be called. <laughs> it's it would be like Grindhouse. We would be celebrating all of its flaws instead of. Yep. Uh, throwing tomatoes maybe, maybe that's our pathway into liking it we just pretend it's a stab movie <laughs> <laughs> oh god it's on paramount plus now yeah so no, it's pretty it's easy to watch yeah, it sure cool. is paul i don't know that i would say it's easy to watch um <laughs> hey 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 look i, I mean i don't deserve the... <laughs> much better than that but i deserve a little better than that come okay. on okay Okay, steelbook, because I'm a I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> I just suck, and I I have a real problem, and I can't not own an entire franchise. So, uh, I paid I paid my thirty five dollars, whatever the hell it was. <laughs> I might not buy it. Uh, and uh, no, okay, I tell you what's no, gonna I happen. Like I have to buy it at least on DVD to complete my set. Right, I'm exactly. not. I'm, I'm not gonna. I know what's gonna happen. I'm not gonna buy it all year. And then, like, come Black Friday when it's five dollars at Walmart, I'll yeah. buy it then. Yeah, yeah exactly. That makes sense. That's when I'm gonna buy it. Won't be very happy about it, but I'll do it then. That son of a bitching movie. I promise I won't rebuy it. How about that? Fair enough. I won't rebuy it. <laughs> All right, Allie. Not to rebuy it. <laughs> Allie, please Ellie take us away. Check. 
Please take us away from all this scream and tell us what have you seen recently that you would like to tell people about? We have about 20 minutes left, so you two take it. I, I can't wait to hear what you have to, uh, to preach about. Oh, you want to hear me preach about something that I feel like I should preach. air my grievances out on the air? <laughs> I booked a commercial. Oh, shit. And then the day before the commercial like I found out on Friday and then he sent me the script and I was like memorizing it and then Saturday morning like he messaged me and he was like hey thanks for your interest in the film but we've decided to recast your role but we'll keep you in mind for future projects and I was like all good man happens all the time don't even worry about it so Sunday I'm like yeah I have a whole Sunday free I'm gonna do my Sunday stuff like clean the apartment and go grocery shopping and like you know household chores and shit and I get a bunch of messages and phone calls, most of which were through Instagram, so super professional, being like, hey, are you close? Why aren't you on set? Why the hell aren't you here? You're holding up the crew. And I'm like, you fired me. Why the fuck should I be on set? And he was like, so why aren't you here? And I'm like, there is no so. Like, you fired me. I cannot read your mind. What the hell? So directors, it's totally cool if you recast. Happens all the time. No grievances with that part. Don't expect your cast member who you fired to still show up. He thought, like, did he explain? I think you were gonna come if he fired you. Right? That's insane. Like he just wanted you to be there, like just in case he needed you. Yeah, I have no idea, but I was no. Do commercials have understudies? Nope. And the worst is like, he claims that that message was meant for somebody else. And I'm like, there are two actors on the call sheet. It's me and a dude. So (laughs) don't think it was. I think your other person backed out last minute and now you're blaming this on me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So directors, don't be this dude. Can we, uh, can we out this person? Because I feel like he needs a good, uh. Uh, a good pummeling oh, online. I'm sure his uh, shitty script will out him when it airs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but back to the funner stuff. The stuff that I've watched that I really want to talk about. One is the ultimate 1999 cannibal western, Ravenous. It is the greatest homoerotic western cannibal film starring the amazing Guy Pierce. Like, mm-hmm. oh. That movie is have you have either of you seen it? I have loved this movie since I first paid. Uh, this was early days of DVD collecting. So if you wanted to buy a collector's edition of a DVD in a snap case, you were going to drop about thirty five dollars. Oh, remember when snap cases were super popular and now they're trash. I hated it. It was it was worth every penny. This movie, Ali, you're 100 percent right. It is. uh it's a masterpiece. And why? Here's the thing. The movie itself is a masterpiece. But then on top of that, the musical score oh, it's so is good. also a masterpiece. Like you you got and the fusion of the two and Guy Pierce's performance and Robert Carlyle. And oh, yeah, Jeffrey Robert. Jones is icky now, but he's still great in the movie. And I just got it's such a good movie. His like down to the minute shift where he's like, I'm a cannibal. I love my life. And then a second later, he's like, you have to kill me. <laughs> it's like. What? Also, um, the person, okay, slash my best friend, who was running the film series at the Review Cinema in Toronto that played Ravenous, uh, recreated the original press books that went out. So I grabbed you guys. <gasps> book. 
That's amazing. amazing. Next time I send you guys presents in the mail, that will be included along with a Robert Kylile pin. <laughs> oh my! I I haven't seen this movie yet. Oh, you're gonna watch it, but become your I'm very movie. excited to see it. And I will say this, and you're <laughs> no, neither of you will be surprised by this. I have owned you own the Scream it. Factory <laughs> Blu-ray <laughs> to this movie. I shit you not for probably three or four years. <laughs> Of course you have, because why? It's unwrapped, or it's wrapped on my shelf. So I will, at some point very soon, unwrap it and watch it. I promise. Do it. I, I, I really want. Me to and Jinx are going to message you every day to be like, "You watch it yet? You watch it yet? You watch?" Oh, it. you're you're getting pestered, Sarah. It's part this. of my sickness. <laughs> I, need, I need help for it. It but, truly yeah. is. Oh my god. I will um, say without spoilers, it has one of the greatest third act fight scenes that any movie ever had because it feels even better so... than the resident oh. <laughs> we're getting to that sorry um, spoilers <laughs> no what's what's so great about it is that it feels real it doesn't feel choreographed and human beings behave like human beings would if they were fighting to the death at the end of this movie where they yeah. sweat they bleed they get tired they get pissed off you know, well, you they collapse. Think they're gonna kiss each other. There, there is a moment where it's like, "Hey guys, what's uh, what's going on there? What are you?" There's a lot of lingering looks, and then like the very last scene, they're like, "If you die, I die." And I'm like, "You guys are gonna kiss now, aren't you?" <laughs> it is. It is so good. You'll watch it and be like, "Oh, that's the moment where they're gonna make out with each other." Also, not a spoiler, but Neil Mc- McDonald is that his name? Who is uh, McDonough? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who has the beautiful, like the most beautiful eyes in the industry? There's a scene at the beginning when they're just introducing all the characters, and it's his character is just shirtless in the water screaming. And I'm like, that is the best intro to a character. Has nothing to do with the movie. They never revisit it or bring it up. It's just this beautiful moment in time where he's just like, yeah, just in this freezing cold water. Wow. Yeah, I always took it like he's in a, a rushing stream and he's just presumably bare ass naked, like covered up to the waist in freezing water. And he's just like, yeah, his fists are in the air and he's like, he's and that's the like introduction to that character. It's my favorite. Sometimes honestly, I just want to feel alive. <laughs> honestly, it tells you everything you need to know about that guy going forward, too. It's so, so good. Um, the other thing that I, I watched that I'm, like, really excited about is I finished all of Only Murders in the Building. Because so good. it's so good. And I love, like, Steve Martin and Martin Short. I think they are, like, the greatest comedic duo. And, like, oh, it was just, it's so heartwarming, even though it's about murder. And, like, it's set up for a good second season. And Selena Gomez is great. And Amy Ryan is great. And, like, Sting is in it. Like... And is amazing. Um, I I would not. Oh God! Did you all cut out? No, no we're I'm here. here. And Nathan Lane is there, and obviously, like Nathan Lane fits into that world so beautifully. And I like, got, I gotta watch that. I haven't watched that yet. It <sighs> is without spoiling anything because I wouldn't dare spoil it for you. And Allie, please, for the love of God, don't spoil it to him. But it, but at the same time, I also want to at least hint at it enough that you know what I'm talking about. But Steve Martin. In the final episode, he is seated, is all I'm going to say. And he has one of the greatest moments that he ever had in his entire career. I laughed so fucking hard. There were tears forming. It's absolutely incredible. So 
it's such and also it's pretty kid appropriate like you don't okay okay like i, I feel like show my daughters well it's on disney plus and you definitely could show your daughters like it's very all right cute. Uh, it's, paul it's here in the states it'll be on hulu yeah 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 yeah, yeah. oh fuck you guys yeah. <laughs> the only, you know oh sorry god i was gonna say the only grievance <laughs> i have with this show is the grievance that i kind of have with any show that does this and it's not a spoiler alert because we know Amy Ryan is on the show and we know that the show is about them making a podcast, but they talk about, like they reference how they really like Steve Carell in the office. And then Amy Ryan comes on the show and I'm like, no, you can't do that. Oh <laughs> yeah. Like you can't reference die hard and then not bring up the fact that like Bruce Willis is in your movie. Like I can't do it. No. <laughs> <laughs> All but right, it, Paul, how about, Oh, sorry. Oh. I'm just giving it extra praise. Like you will like it. It's a good family show. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm I'm down. If my girl, girls can watch it, then yeah, that'll be easy. Yeah. Um. Uh. I've. I'm almost. You'd be proud. I am watching another show. I'm almost done with Chucky. Nice. Do you love it? I think it is the. Earlier, Jinx talked about all the different legacy things, like horror legacy sequels and things. I think Chucky's the best thing. It's so good. I, I think Chucky is the best legacy horror sequel we have gotten, period. Can't argue. Um, it is phenomenal. Uh, I I cannot. I, I'm, I'm not at the end yet because it takes, as I've told you guys, it takes me forever to watch a show. Like, Chucky is eight episodes, and we've been watching it for three months. <laughs> what is your but, life? It's just it's just how it goes. But we're That's believe true. it or not, we're really into it. My, my wife and I, we just like to space things out. And when we watch a show, we only do like one episode. We don't we don't binge. So like if I do one, it's like we'll watch one episode and then we'll watch one in like two weeks. <laughs> but that's what we do. Uh, so we've we got two episodes left. Uh, we're very excited. I love it. Um, in terms of what I've been watching, I mean, there's there's a million things, but what I'll talk about. I feel like it's been a long time since I've talked about like a shitty old horror movie. So I want to, I want to talk about a shitty old horror movie. Uh, I watched deadly games from 1982, not to be confused with the 1989 deadly games, AKA dial code Santa Claus. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a different deadly games. Dial um, Santa Claus. <laughs> uh, yeah. Have you not seen dial code Santa Claus? Oh, that's deadly games. Favorite movie. Huh? it's amazing i don't know why that hit me in a weird way but like that's such a dumb name <laughs> but you've seen that right <laughs> i love that ali is completely losing it right now because because it's 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 home alone with the murderous santa but anyway uh that's not what we're that's not what we're here to talk about um we're here to talk about the 1982 deadly games which is pitched as a <laughs> As a board game slasher, <laughs> love a good board game. Slasher. It is a it is a killer like, who's obsessed with board gaming, <laughs> and he's and and the the tagline was like he's playing his own twisted game with the women of a small American town, and the poster is like a disembodied hand rolling dice into blood. Uh, it's a slasher from 1982, uh, very much a regional style slasher. Um, and of course, like all low rent early 80s slashers, it completely fails to deliver on what it promises. 
<laughs> by the poster. Basically, the board game element is like every once in a while it shows him playing a board game. <laughs> That's it. And then otherwise, it's just kind of a run of the mill slasher. And actually, most of the movie is like this weird soap opera level romantic entanglement movie where like a bunch of people are like interdating and cheating on each other and every once in a while you get sort of the heavy breathing pov black glove murder it's actually a little giallo influenced which i i mean as all slashers are but like this one slightly heavier than others uh in in the low rent u.s landscape um it's completely ridiculous the performances are not good uh, but I mean, it's, that's kind of why we watch them, right? <laughs> I mean, that's why we tune into these. Uh, I had a really good time with it. It's, it's like 80 minutes. <laughs> um, there were some cool kills. Uh, the finale takes place in a big theater. I always like that. Um, there's this weird subplot where the guy works at a movie theater. So they're always showing like really old silent horror movies that are probably just actual films. Uh, that that are you know free license uh so there was some cool stuff there uh yeah i i mean the 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 romance stuff is completely over the top and silly and weird and like i just it's it's very it's entertaining in kind of the best worst way um this was put out in a beautiful uh blu-ray release with slip cover by arrow <laughs> Of course. Uh, and of and of course, I had to pay the exorbitant amount of money to own it in HD on disc because, again, I, I have an illness. Um, so, yeah, I, I had a good time. If you're looking for shitty low rent 80s regional slashers, uh, this is uh, one to add to the pile. All right, I might check that out. Um yeah. Before we dive into our commentary, I just want to ask, Allie, can you say dial code Santa Claus out loud just once, like beginning <laughs> to end? Just once. You can't crap. You can't crack up. While Have you this. never heard heard it referred to as that? No. Referred to <laughs> it's as like what? It's Allie. <laughs> Go ahead. Just once. It's got a third title too. Like, what's the what's other title? The third title. It, is it, it better definitely than, is what? It dial code Santa Claus? <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm that's laughing. one of its titles. <laughs> All uh, right. No, I think it's like Silent Night or something. No, that's oh, that's, not that's, good. that's that's okay. That brought us down. Um, I, I want like a T-shirt that has this on it now. This is my new favorite movie. <laughs> there has to be a T-shirt out there somewhere. I'm sure. Hey, uh, it, it has two other titles as well. Game Over and Hide and Freak. <laughs> Hide and Freak isn't bad, I gotta say. Yeah, I was... actually would 100% watch a movie called Hide and Freak. It doesn't matter what it's about. <laughs> I would like if that if Arrow put out Hide and Freak tomorrow for $40 in, in Blu-ray and it's, I don't care what it is, I'd pay it, I'd buy it. Just don't yeah. watch the damn thing before Ravenous. Promise us that. Yeah, watch Ravenous like tomorrow. Watch Ravenous, Paul. I have to watch these shitty movies first. Okay. <laughs> then All I'll watch, right. Then I'll watch the good ones. 
Let's go ahead and get ready to dive into our commentary for The Resident. Now, uh, actually, before we do that, I just want to say one thing very quickly. I'm not going to dive into either one of these movies, but I will just say for listeners out there, rather than waiting a whole other week or two weeks to figure out what our thoughts are going to be and whether or not they're thumbs up or thumbs down, I will just say very quickly, while they're available, while you can see them, just want to say that fresh on hulu and x in theaters right now get thumbs up the both of them i adored them both please go watch them fresh was good I fresh really to death fresh is my favorite movie so far this year honestly yeah. it might be the fa- my favorite movie of the year <laughs> all right I and i can't wait yeah. until i, I cannot... watch dial code santa claus <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait to dive into both of those with you. Uh, hopefully you two get to see X before we talk again, too. So we'll see how that goes. But, uh, but you know, before we do that, we're going to go ahead and dive into some more Hammer. Is everybody ready to uh, to visit the resident? Yeah, because that's what this podcast is about. We almost forgot after yelling for an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's we did. We beat the shit out of Scream and... Uh, I kind of forgot what the podcast was supposed to be about. So uh, everyone out there in listener land, hopefully you have managed to procure a copy of The Resident on DVD or Blu-ray. Hope okay, it didn't take you two months like it did with Paul. Uh, Paul, how long did it take you to get your physical media it took, copy? It took two and, a half, uh, two and a half months. And when I finally got it, oh, this, not to like go on a tangent, it came in a fucking dvd case oh it's a blu-ray that came in a dvd case oh you got bootleg and get and it's and it's no it's like an official canadian release i didn't know that oh see that and so it's got like it's got like the you know the french lettering as well as the english and then this also annoyed me it's a dual-sided disc where one side is a dvd and the other side is a blu-ray i didn't even know that was a thing i've no. never seen that before time to it's send so, that shit back paul i am so annoyed about back to it canada because now i can't really file it with my blu-ray this is a huge problem i'm what's gonna happen this is the worst Blame part. canada i'm paul. gonna fucking rebuy this movie again because i need <laughs> i can't send it back about from some Amazon third-party seller, so it's like it's mine now. Ah, oh. okay. That's sorry, great. I had to get that out, but I do have a copy of it I can watch. So, so listeners <laughs> out there, whether you're watching on DVD, Blu-ray, or DVD and Blu-ray all at once, uh, yeah. or whether you're streaming it on Amazon Prime or whatever service oh. Ally is using right now in Canada, play like a goddamn heathen. It's probably on <laughs> Disney Plus, just like everything else in Canada. It seems like everything's on Disney Plus out there. No, we have like nothing up here. It's it's a garbage country, all right? <laughs> all right. Let us go ahead and cue it up to the very first frame of the movie. It should be uh well, Hammer. The the logo should just start to peek through on the first like frame. That. It's Atlantis thing. Oh, well, let's go ahead and skip through that then. First let's all that. cue up to hammer like the very we should just bookie hammer okay and everyone let me know when you're ready i'll do the countdown good to go ready paul yeah okay everyone let's go ahead and press play in five four three two one and 
Okay, so this is the second commentary for New Hammer that we are diving into. And what's curious, and we did talk about this a little bit on our previous commentary for Let Me In, this was actually the very first film that was produced through New Hammer. Uh, For whatever reason, it was released after Let Me In, which was the second film that was produced. Uh, I believe it got a limited theatrical release in February of 2011, and then like a month, month and a half later, it was on DVD and Blu-ray and DVD and Blu-ray. So, um, so yeah. And unfortunately for The Resident, this is kind of a redheaded stepchild when it comes to Hammer as a whole. Uh, and even really New Hammer too. Uh, kind of a critical and commercial flop. I think it has a 37% on Rotten Tomatoes. This is not a well-loved movie. Uh, which is kind of a shame because, damn it, I got to tell you both, especially after revisiting it, for the most part, I really dig this flick. I love this movie. It felt like, first of all, the first half is basically a romance movie. And then the second half is like a crazy lifetime movie. And I am so here for it. It's just like this beautiful amalgamation of the two. Yeah. Uh, calling it like a lifetime movie is so such a good way to describe it. It's it's this like a is. yeah, it's like an R-rated, amped up sort of lifetime dealy. I wish the poster art did not spoil the entire movie, or at least half of the film. Uh, but yeah, because because the turn. I mean, we're in a commentary. I assume people listening to this like hopefully have watched the movie or are cool with it being spoiled. Uh, but the Jeffrey Dean Morgan character is obviously nefarious. He's not he's not the sweet, charming uh, love interest that we're we're led to believe for the first 25 minutes. Um, so but but uh, yeah, but like he's on the on the artwork. He's very clearly a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, the artwork <laughs> answered up that he's the bad guy in this movie. And it's like, well, because literally you could cut this and change the music a little bit and boom, it's a rom-com. Speaking of which, three years before this came out, Jeffrey D. Morgan and Hilary Swank starred in a romantic comedy together called P.S. I Love You. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. Right. The, the, wasn't that Gerard Butler, too? It was. He dies and then leaves her all those notes, which I think is very shitty of him. But like then she finds <laughs> Jeffrey D. Morgan and you're like, another babe. It's... um. You know, what's funny, you talk about the uh, the artwork that gives away Jeffrey Dean Morgan. What's kind of crazy is that that's all the North American marketing for the movie, like the DVD and Blu-ray and presumably the poster here. I was doing a little bit of research. The UK cinema poster is kind of the same setup. You have a Hillary Swank in the foreground, and then you have a threatening guy behind her. Guess who they put behind her on the UK cinema posters? Who is it? Christopher Lee. They put Christopher Lee behind her and make him appear uh, as the threat, the which is what the movie does, and that's totally what the, the 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 damn DVD and Blu-ray cases should have done. Yeah, that would have been much better. That would have been really good because he he. It's very clear the first half hour wants you to think that Lee is the villain. Um, yeah. And it's it's playing up on the fact that like you know this is Hammer. You know Lee is a legacy Hammer guy. He's very famous for being a villain. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's playing on your expectations and then subverting them and saying, oh, no, this is something new. We're going in a new direction. 
Um, and this is Lee sort of handing the torch to, uh, uh, you know, a new crowd. And they got a hell of a cast. They you know, Hilary Swank, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Lee Pace, like they, they did not skimp on the uh, on the performers for this movie. Um, and that's why, to me, like just at the outset, do you, I, I, it's so weird to me that in the U.S. it just got dumped on DVD, basically. Like, they, like you know, it it got it didn't perform well, but because they didn't back it up, which hilariously falls right in line with a lot of their failures back in the day. <laughs> Like it didn't get a great release, <laughs> and so nobody saw it. And you know, then the way people found it was on, you know, video later on. Like it's, it just, it kind of falls in line with those same problems from before. And I'm not sure why that happened. But you know, it's say, funny. Oh, sorry, Ali, go ahead. I was gonna say this is Christopher Lee's uh, last Hammer film since he did To Devil a Daughter. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like a 35 year gap for him. I. You know, Paul, to your point a moment ago, like I, I don't think you would see a movie like this in theaters. Today. No, this I just don't think so. But 10 years ago, 12 years ago, this is totally a January or February yeah. studio yeah. release movie. Yeah. Now it would be VOD. But I mean, at, at, at its time, like, you know, we always talk about how the boy feels like a hammer movie, right? Like 100%. It does. I think this movie feels kind of like the boy for a lot of it. Like it's, it's kind of the same. I mean, look, we're dealing with a person in the walls movie, yep. <laughs> which is what the boy is. Um, this, this has that kind of, I mean, granted, this is obviously a lot more modern with like really gross sexual stuff, but it has that kind of classic hammer thriller vibe. Like, is this in like for her character? Is it in her head? Is, you know, is there something supernatural going on? Obviously, the audience knows the truth, but she doesn't. That That's a very hammery thing. This movie feels very much like an extension of those, like something like Nightmare. You know, mm-hmm. like th- this is an extension of those old Hammer movies um, in a way that, you know, we talked about Let Me In. Not For me, not necessarily, like I liked it a lot, but not necessarily feeling like a Hammer movie. This feels like a Hammer movie. It does, Simon and- Oak. Sorry, Alaga. I was saying location alone like this apartment building feels like new york gothic like it's Mm pre-war he's renovating it but it still has you know the crown molding it still has those old vents like it has that feel that like if you were in a hammer castle on a hammer set they would have that similar vibe but for new york versus for like england or wherever the fuck they're shot totally right this is a this is like new york's equivalent to a castle Exactly. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Look how big that apartment is, and it's like thirty eight hundred bucks. Like, okay, yeah, you can watch me sleep and lick my fingers. Like, <laughs> and I get the other yeah. stuff that he does not cool, but like other than the other stuff, it's basically a romantic movie. Well, and and it's funny you bring up like that because I was texting Jinx while I was watching it, um, which you know I probably shouldn't do on a first time watch, but whatever. Uh, you know, and up until it's revealed, like, what he's doing to her while she's asleep. Where, I mean, obviously, it's all fucked up. But as a, as a viewer, you can watch, like, a dude in the wall spying on someone and have fun with it. You know what I mean? Because that's, that's the point. You're supposed to be. Yeah, you're supposed to be entertained by this shit. Now, obviously, the movie takes a turn where it kind of stops being fun. And it's more just like, oh, this is really, really fucked up. And I'm I'm uncomfortable now. Yeah, I'm uh, not that. <laughs> But up until that moment, yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty good time. 
<laughs> you know, because like I think that's why the boys not to talk about the boy, but it's like, again, I see a lot of similarities between the two of them. I think that's why the boy is so fun, because he never really does anything, you know, sexual to her. Yeah, it's more he's just there and kind of like he wants her as like a mother figure. And that's a little bit easier to to palette than what's actually happening in this movie, which is yeah real fucked up yeah paul you mentioned a moment ago like how this felt a bit like nightmare it's funny i dug up a uh an interview with simon oaks who is the current head of hammer he is the guy who was primarily responsible for rebooting hammer and he talked about you know when he did that early slate of interviews with everyone uh you know who's interested in hammer coming back of course he got hit with all of the questions like so when are you dr- bringing dracula back when are you bringing frankenstein back uh when are we getting a new quatermass mm. and uh yeah christopher lee uh but he pointed out he was like well you know we have let me in coming up and that's that's supernatural it's a vampire and he was like but you know i i want to bring back you know, all of the traits that Hammer was known for. And in Hammer's time, they were also known for these movies that were referred to as mini Hitchcocks. And yeah. those were the movies that the studio was really kind of known for before they hit it big with gothic horror. So, you know, you noted Nightmare. There are movies like um, uh, Paranoiac, uh, Paranoiac, uh, Scream of Fear, uh, The Nanny, the the Christopher Fe- or, Fear in the Night. Um, uh, there's the Peter Cushing one um, that's amazing. Uh, da, 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 da. Um, Cash on Demand. Cash on, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cash on Demand. And this, yeah, all, yeah, all the ones that are in that really cool, uh, was that the Mill Creek set has a lot of those? Yes, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And so you have, like, this movie feels... Ve- this movie feels so much more of a piece with those movies than Let Me In did with any of the gothic horror stuff or supernatural stuff that they did. And I kind right. of... And I do want to take a second and ask what you both think about this. Like, admittedly, like years ago when I first got this movie, this scene plays out as being uh, very male, male very, gazy, very male, male gazy. Way too long. Very, the whole scene. That was the note. That was the note. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Ellie. Go ahead. Truly, like this whole scene where she spends like easily two minutes just rubbing lotion on her entire like wet naked <laughs> yeah. after like that steamy bath she just had. Like, this is a male gaze moment, and like. Very- it's like rub your boobies a little more. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> very, very gratuitous. Yeah. Very male gazy. But watching it again, like on the rewatch, I knew this moment was coming and I was like, oh, here's that scene. And it occurred to me knowing what happens and knowing who is likely watching her the entire time. Uh, like it, it feels weirdly appropriate now. It feels appropriate that we as audience members are kind of made complicit, like well, in also- the gazing at her. I feel like this is kind of the only moment where I feel like it's appropriate to have this kind of thing. Because after this, it becomes more of a sexual assault. So I'm like, if we're going to have a male gaze, let's have it in a moment where she maybe isn't in peril. She's just, you know, taking a bath. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely was rubbed the wrong way by that when I first saw it. And as I watched it, I rubbed the wrong way. Oh, yeah. Nice. Good one. (laughs) Uh, you know what I meant. Uh, no, I, and, and in retrospect, yeah, yeah Jinx, I, I think that's probably done on purpose given what, I mean, the whole movie is a, a sort of a reflection on voyeurism. Um, and obviously the horror going audience 
is quite voyeuristic and and that's a trope that happens in a lot of horror movies where a, a beautiful woman you know is naked and whatever and luxuriating and we we watch on um and given that the villain of the movie does that and sort of reveals that behavior for the you know kind of hinting at like uh almost like early in i mean not that incel culture is new but i think in the way that we talk about it and think about it now um this movie was a, a bit ahead of that curve at least like going down that path because i almost think that this, this movie would play better today than it did then um in some ways because i think like we're we're more willing to have a conversation about how gross and shitty uh, men who can very easily pose as friendly and kind and handsome, you know, because a lot of times in the old days when you would see a guy in the walls movie, the dude would be ugly and fucking weird <laughs> with yeah. like crazy long fingernails and, you know, not somebody that would ever conceivably like right, it would like, seduce anybody. Beer <laughs> yeah, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's fucking hot and <laughs> he could he could get it and he doesn't have to hide in walls and lick people's fingers, yeah. but he but he does, and that almost makes it creepier and a little bit more resonant with with what it's suggesting about uh the world we live in. Uh so I, you, I thought that was kind of cool. Did you both then want more out of the movie in the sense that Okay, for the movie to work, she has to be attracted to him. We have to buy that initial attraction. Yeah. So who they give us is like Jeffrey D. Morgan. He's handsome. He's charming. He's funny. Uh, chemistry. There is chemistry between them. a lot them. of so chemistry, yeah. You have to ask, like, what is this guy's deal then that when he has so much going on for him, he's not able to... I mean, it's not even that he isn't able to relate to women like he's obviously, you know, connecting with her in sort of a genuine way early on. But there is something else bubbling underneath the surface there that leads to, you know, sort of his perversion and, you know, all the horrible shit that happens later. Did the movie give you enough? to justify that happening and like who that guy is, or did you want more? Because I go back and forth on that. I'm like, I, I, part of me wants more of that guy's backstory. Part of me wants to know more like what his deal is. But then part of me is kind of like, you know, the, the fact that they just keep it there, that they keep it vague enough, then it's kind of like a broader, um, you know, a broader look at a certain type of male, I suppose. And, you know, it, it's, it's, condemnation i think can reach wider than if they had gone much further into crafting you know uh, uh a far more detailed backstory for him if that makes any sense i mean i would have liked to have known more of a backstory it just yeah because truly like he's charming and he's handy and he is unbelievably attractive it seems weird that he would get super creepy so i kind of just would have liked that to have been explained more like has he done this before like yeah and honestly if he had just stuck around a little bit like yeah there there's that moment where they fall in the bed sure and she she ultimately kind of rebuffs him because she's still in love with her ex but her ex is such a screaming asshole uh and i'd love to talk about that dipshit we'll, we'll bit, get but, to that 
I'm but, sorry. How do you choose that douche over Jeffrey Dean Morgan? Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm oh, saying. It's like he could easily. Stuff. He could have stuck around and been like, you know what, dude, you still got a shot. And instead, like she, she's literally like, I can't. And he's like, well, it's time to spy on you through the walls again. Do some creepy shit. Like lick your fingers when you fall asleep, yeah. and I'm gonna drug you. Do like what the hell? But also, I also think. Oh, sorry, the okay. dude he just shook hands with in the like before he talks to Hillary Swank by the elevator. That's like the only other person I've seen living in this building. Like, how rich is he that he just has this what nine story building in Brooklyn? Like, you don't you don't need to be stalking ladies. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think. For, oh, sorry, good. Oh no, no, you're good. I was gonna say I just think that that earlier you asked like, does the movie do enough? And I think that's a great question that I want to kind of have as like a theme throughout this conversation, because I think the first half does do a lot of legwork in explaining the answer to that question. Like, here's this guy who could very, very easily have a girlfriend, have a life, you know, be happy, but he isn't because he wants to control everything. Right. Like, so he doesn't meet Hillary's Juliet. Uh, in a natural way, he meets her because he orchestrates it. He forces it. Um, and then when things deviate, oh, sorry, go ahead. It's tr- like the whole thing with him, like he happened to be at the hospital when August was there and he happened to see her and was like, that's the girl I'm going to be with. It was mm-hmm. very convenient that she was also looking for a new place to live. Right. Yeah. And I almost wonder like if there's another version of this where like, the orchestration goes even farther than what we, what we saw, which would have been yeah. interesting. Like but he like, August just to get him there. Just sure. Yeah. Yeah. Him. Right. Exactly. Like he propositioned who knows, but at the end of the day, the minute his plan deviates, the minute things don't go even exactly the way he wants, that's when he starts to completely flip out and his overbearing nature sort of emerges. And again, that's sort of the, the, the impetus of, of incel culture, right? Where, if a dude, I mean, there's plenty of like handsome dudes who like are complete dicks and pissed off all the time that like that, you know, whatever woman that they think owes them something isn't providing them that uh, regardless of, of what they could actually achieve if they were just sincere is is staggering. And I think like it's it's cool that this movie explores it in that way up until a point. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the finale fails. I think a better ending delivers uh, a satisfactory sort of, I don't know, like where Max and Juliet finally have to sort of have it out. And Juliet has her, I don't want to say final girl moment, but almost like that moment in Scream 3 where Sydney's like, you know, you think it's everyone else's fault. You know whose fault it is? It's yours. (laughs) You know, you're, you know, the. You're the only person holding you back from a meaningful relationship. Not me, not my boyfriend, you know, not any of this other shit that you are blaming. It's you. And I wish we had gotten more of an exploration of that. But they, the movie fails Juliet's character completely in the third. Twice. I mean, just it, it up and down. I mean, she becomes a weak-willed shell of who you really thought you were following, I think. Uh, because of some of the decisions that are made in the script, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But yeah, I mean, so I, I think two thirds of this movie does explore the max character in a really fascinating way. And then I think it just drops it. 
And Something also, like here with them walking with coffee and walking down New York streets, like everything is so romantic comedy. It's so beautiful. And I wanted yeah. it so badly to just stay a romance, but I was like, no, this is a hammer film. Someone's going to die. I also, yeah. ending wise, I would have been okay if she had died. And then we end the movie with another woman moving in. And then that becomes his new infatuation, just to at least kind of carry his backstory a bit more. Paul, what did I text you last night? That. That's. that's <laughs> Paul we, had this we, great we idea. I texted him that exact thing. And then Paul came back with a pretty brilliant idea, which is like, okay, what if there were multiple resident movies? Like, what if you could almost imagine him being like a modern day H.H. Holmes in New York City, you know, with this damn building that he is outfitted to you know, kind of deliver to him his every uh, women desire. And that, to me, would be a really creepy setup for, uh, for a series like sequel. this. Yeah. Well, I almost think that, like, I bet you that's what Christopher Lee did when he was young. I bet his dad did this. And that's why the building's already sort of preset with weird secret doors and shit. Well, I yeah, bet it's this funny has that been, you, like, his a thing? generational thing. You mentioned that a moment ago, and, like, I... There is something about him while we were talking about this character, something just occurred to me, which is, OK, if if everything that we're saying about this guy is true and it is, um, then I mean, he is he's a fucking creep, you know, and he is. Yeah. You're right. It is all his fault. Like it's it's all the problems lie within him. Um, then this facade that he has, he's very charming. He's very handsome. He knows how to talk to people. He he. He knows how to sort of tap into like that chemistry that he can have with other people. Uh, not, I mean, look how quickly her friend takes to him because he plays that aw shucks charming card, right? To me, like, okay, that's not really him. That's the mask that he wears to get at what he really wants. And it occurred to me while we were talking just a moment ago, that's almost certainly Christopher Lee, is it not? That's him as a young man growing up around Christopher Lee and taking in all of that guy's charisma, like how he probably was as a much younger man, and just yeah. molding it around him like a shell and using it when he has to. Yeah. Speaking of which, I just want to say, it may just amount to a glorified cameo and a little more, but for the scant amount of time that he is on screen, Christopher Lee, man, brings it in this movie. The man is instant just presence in the film. That dude's up. Also, this yeah, yeah. bathroom that she has is like my dream bathroom. I mean, bigger counter space, but like the clawfoot tub and the completely tiled room and like the random chair. Like, are you ever going to sit in that chair? What's wrong with you? But it's just it's <laughs> the quintessential New York bathroom that no one can afford. There was um, I did want to say about Christopher Lee. There's this great interview with the director uh, who I'd like to talk about here in a minute, but. I'm going to mask his name, but I'm going to try my best at least. Uh, is it Auntie Jokinen, maybe? Uh, but there was an interview with him by a writer named James Whittington, and they covered a great deal of the making of this movie. And they talked about how the role of August wasn't originally written for Christopher Lee. Uh, this was a project that the director had been working on for years, and it never occurred to him to write the role for Christopher Lee. But when Hammer actually took over the production, that was one of Simon Oakes's, uh, I, I don't know that he made him cast him, but it was, 
very strongly implied that Hammer really wanted to have Christopher Lee back in their first production and what, like 35, 37 years, something like that. And apparently the director was, you know, who the hell wouldn't want Christopher Lee in their movie? So he was all about it and they cast Lee and, uh, and he's great. He's amazing in it. Um, you know, he, he has the sort of presence in the movie that's just impossible to manufacture. Um, but what I thought was neat, uh, one of the cool in another interview that I read, this great little uh, tidbit, Lee was knighted while filming this movie. He oh. was uh, he was given the notification while he was in the States. The producers in England found out hours ahead of Lee because they were like, what, six or eight hours ahead. Like and that. they they sent champagne and chocolates to him to wait for him while he, you know, until he woke up to find out the news. And uh, I just I love that. So bunch of cuties. <laughs> Ooh, speaking of casting for this film, I read on the IMDb that <laughs> Jessica Alba and Maggie Gyllenhaal were both attached to this project before it ultimately went to Hillary Swank. Wow. Yeah, I read that too. That's really interesting. I... It's very interesting. Okay, so that's who, three different better, movies. Right better there. or worse movies. Who 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 would like? Is it Hillary Swank, Maggie, or Jessica? Who's the best version of this movie? Do you think? I think Hillary Swank. I love Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Swank I hands think, down. I think the easy pot shot to take is at Jessica Alba. But the thing is, is yeah. Jessica Alba when she is given the chance, you which sadly is all too rare. True. Um, True. I don't think she's ever been pushed. But you look at something like. Um, uh, like the killer inside me that she did opposite uh, KCF, yeah. like the adaptation of the Jim Thompson novel. She is fucking fantastic in She's that film. Actress. I just think she was really hot when she started out and that kind of pigeonholed her to have hot girl roles. That's it's like true. Megan Fox. Exactly. So, oh, poor so Megan So talented. Yeah. goddamn. And like uh, Dylan Hall is super talented. I just think she's too tough talented. Like I feel like I could see her just being like, fuck you, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, then punching him. She wouldn't seem as vulnerable as the other two. That like Hillary Swank can have. But man, I think Maggie Gyllenhaal in this movie would give one hell of a performance. I think the the problem is if you had Maggie Gyllenhaal take that fucking asshole boyfriend back, that would just make like it, it would it would make what was already a problem so jarring that I almost couldn't get over it. Because yeah, I just don't yeah. believe that, that Maggie Gyllenhaal would ever <laughs> fall prey to a piece of shit like that guy again. Yeah. Yeah. No, I concur. No, I, I love that the movie, I love that Hillary Swank is in it. I love that apparently she was seeking out a project like this. And I mean, this is not even, I think we were maybe only, what, a half a decade past her Oscar win for Million Dollar Baby. I mean, here she is like, two-time Academy Award winner Hillary Swank, and she was wanting to do, like, an independent, like, horror film or, you know, thriller, really. Yeah, and she, and like, exec produced this. Like, she was on board with this movie. Yeah. And well, how cool and- is that? And you have Jeffrey Dean Morgan coming off of fucking Watchmen, where he was kind of a scene-stealer in it. Uh, Lee Pace was already kind of a name at this point. That too. And not only that, like, look at the talent attached to this movie. Not just the actors. You have... um like, it's DP is Guillermo Navarro, who 
shot Chronos, and from dusk to dawn, Desperado, Jackie Brown, Devil's Backbone, was... Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth. <laughs> I'm glad you brought him up. Yeah, because like I think the movie is beautifully shot. It's gorgeous. It's shot. And I I read that he worked for like half of what he normally charges mm-hmm, because he was, he was so passionate. And it's funny ah. that you mentioned Maggie Gyllenhaal. I wonder if her connection to the project. Uh, this okay. I'd like to talk a little bit about the writing of this movie in a minute, but just while I'm talking about the talent attached, I'll note that uh, the script right before they began shooting was rewritten by Aaron Cressida Wilson, who wrote Fur and Chloe among other things, but she also wrote Secretary. Uh, so it kind of makes sense if Maggie Gyllenhaal at one point were kind of uh, attached to this. You have yeah. Bob Morowski who is an Oscar winner, who is Sam Raimi's editor of choice. You have John Ottman, who has done loads of great scores for, uh, you know, filmmakers like <coughs> Brian Singer and Shane Black. And uh, <laughs> Rennie Harlan produced it. Like, this movie had the best possible foot forward that it's just kind of, it, it, it's stunning. It, it's disappointing that it wound up being just kind of, you know, discarded. Well, and I got to believe the American distributors were concerned probably with what it deals with. I mean, you know, although 2011, I don't know. I I guess that's kind of right on the cusp of when something like this, but I think had they wide released this and pushed it with a decent advertising campaign, I think it would have done well. Um, I, I think it's a shame. And, but, I will say the reviews are kind of confounding to me. Uh, I was looking through the Rotten Tomatoes, you know, 31%. Now, granted, that's only 30 critics. But there's a lot of hate being spewed towards it. But I also feel like some of the reviews were kind of flippant. Like, they were probably trudging through a lot of direct-to-video stuff. And they're like, oh, this is just more of the same. More of the same. And I'm like, this is not more of the same. This is... And and if it is good, we need more stuff like this. We don't get enough like hot, like decently budgeted slick, you know, crackerjack thrillers. That which is really what this is. Um, sometimes it's it's fun to do that, and we we need more of it. And and again, it's a lot like the boy, and the boy performed pretty well because the boy got a big push with a decent advertising campaign, and yeah. it was released in wide. So like, do the same thing with this. It, it would have performed, I think. Yeah, I mentioned uh, Guillermo Navarro a moment ago. Uh, I read an interview with him where he said that the script that he signed on to do was a bit different from the film that we wound up getting. Um, I haven't found much in the way of further explanation on that. Uh, And I did mention Bob Morawski. Bob Morawski was actually brought in as an editor to re-edit the film. So one wonders how different the original cut was and if some of the film's problems that it currently has maybe stemmed from it being altered. Uh, I'm thinking especially in the third act. I mean, that is, we were joking about it before we began recording, but I mean, the, the, they totally fatal attraction, the ending, like you have a smart, you know, weighty thriller for the first two thirds. And then it's Glenn close jumping out of a bathtub with a knife. Like that's the exclamation point to the end of your story. And it just, yeah, it's exciting, but it just kind of cheapens everything that comes before it. And I feel like that's what happened to this movie. I like the idea that someone interviewed him and he was like, yeah, the original script was completely different. And they were like, how so? He's like, don't worry about it. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no big deal. It's just it was different. I don't want to talk about it. Okay. We uh maybe uh mind your business, huh? Let's yeah. Uh, I, let's, I, let's, I, what yeah, is this? Twenty yeah. questions. <laughs> no, it's. I, uh, I do want to comment really quickly on the the rewind thing. Yeah. The the stylistic choice to to do sort of like a like a rewind edit, um, which like I I texted Jinx, it really reminded me of the perfection. <gasps> it does. Oh my god, yes. Uh, what, yeah, and and I think that that's a really impressive technique in 2011 because <laughs> that it, that was pretty original. It and is, I really liked but at it. the same time, it's funny that you mentioned that because I love what they do in the perfection, and it's easy to look at the perfection and be like, okay, somebody watch The Resident here. But it just occurred to me as you were saying that, I was like, wait a second. 2011, this is three years after Wanted. And I'm thinking Wanted kind of got there first. Is Wanted the one where they curve the bullet? Yes, but that there was- is that... They do it a couple of times where you see somebody executed and then the film rewinds and you see where the bullet was sort of fired from. But then if you really want to go further back than that, you have um, uh, Funny Games, which yeah, does I mean, it to an absolutely have... infuriating degree. But beyond that, movies I can't really think it. of any other examples, though. It it still felt kind of cool and different um, and and unique in a movie like this. Yeah, never uh, employed in this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, especially to reveal the truth about a character, you know, like hey, and and also it kind of feels like a third act thing, you know, revealing what was going on all along. It and is to do ballsy it that they do it. Yeah, thoroughly. yeah, to do it like it, at the beginning of your second act. It really changes the thrust of the narrative in interesting ways and kind of re-engages you. Like, not that I was, like, completely or falling out of it or anything like that, but when you see that scene, you're like, oh, okay, cool, all right, now I'm on board a little bit more than I was. You know, the romantic comedy stuff was was fun, but, like, I need a little bit more than that if I'm going to, you know, go on for 90 minutes. And this well, kind of gets you back things. into the driver's seat. Um, that's like one of two things. Like that's the first big thing that sort of elevates this from simply being, you know, a, a, a slick, big budget R-rated Lifetime movie. It's the fact that they do the Hitchcock thing, which is, you know, halfway through the movie, they they pull back the, uh, you know, the curtain and let you see the bomb ticking away, unbeknownst to anyone else, or at least our lead. And uh, and then you know the the other the other thing. Also, I, I feel like Lifetime wouldn't do. We will we, get to it eventually. But well, I mean, I've watched a lot of Lifetime films where similar things definitely happen. Like the newer Lifetime films don't stray away from that kind of stuff, especially now that the Lifetime channel is on Stack TV and I had to rebuy Stack TV. But like, I could see this being like if they cut the budget in half, it wasn't a Hammer film, they got some lesser no name actors, it would be a solid Lifetime film. Uh, it's funny in looking this up. I, I just mentioned, I used the word elevate and I apologize, but it occurs yeah, to me there was Duke. this one little, uh, <laughs> Duke. I'm sorry. Um, I still I like better. Babadook. Oh. Yeah. God. I but still I like it this... follows. You could just replace that. We should just like quote that with the wrong movie title uh, a bunch. That'd yeah. <laughs> I still prefer I still the still like hereditary. <laughs> Uh, Simon Oaks, when he was talking about this movie, he actually, and keep in mind, this is like 2010, 
uh, this interview. He said he referred to this movie as a psychological thriller, elevated horror, as we call it, which means that the term elevated horror has been around for at least over a decade. And I did not know that. And I'm a little concerned. I'm, I'm well, we probably didn't question it back then. Yeah. You know? Yeah, back then it was probably like a like a meant to be a compliment, even though obviously now we know better. <laughs> but I, I never like, you know me, I don't like horror terms in general because I hate the word torture porn. I hate that. Same, same. Uh, I hate when we give these nicknames to not not even subgenres, but trends. I don't like when we nickname trends in horror because I it's like just some. so often condescending. I mean, okay, sure. I'm sure. There's like Jay, like, oh, you're right. You're right. Slashers. You're 100% are, right. You know, calling it a slasher is fine. But like, like, you know, whatever. torture porn feels like you're, you're, uh, to borrow a, uh, phrase from Clyde Barker from Shadows and Eden, like you're you're holding the subject at hand between forefinger and thumb, looking for the nearest dustbin. Right? That's torture porn. That's <laughs> elevated horror. That's looking down your nose mm-hmm. at certain types of horror movies. Whereas, like, yeah. you know, right. French New Wave or French French sure, 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 sure. Extreme or J Horror. You know, um, yeah. So yeah, I no, I agree with you though. Mm-hmm. Damn it, Christopher Lee. He just oh, he's just so good. He's such a presence. It really is. I I almost wouldn't say, I mean, and it's funny. I know that what he does in this movie for all intents and purposes really is a cameo, but it doesn't feel like a cameo. You know, he he feels like a full fledged character and a very real part of this film. He he doesn't feel like he's just there to show up, be Christopher Lee and head out, you know? Yeah. And it's, I mean, he has what, maybe five minutes of screen time in the entire film, but I think they're very smart in that, you know, they just pepper him throughout the yeah. first half of the movie so that he feels like he's a bigger part of what's going on. And I think part of it, too, is the fact that, I mean, for the bulk of it, 90 percent of the movie is just three characters or really right. just two characters. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and mostly Jeffrey Dean Morgan, you know, is sort of a modern day Norman Bates. Um, th- this feels I mean, the closest film I just kept thinking of Psycho. Uh, yeah, all of like know, peering through like holes in the yeah. wall and being weird and <laughs> a I little bit more a little bit more Vince Vaughn psycho because <laughs> he's jerking <laughs> off and stuff but like <laughs> but I do kind of wish then that he had gotten like I would like to imagine a franchise then could you imagine I mean he's way ickier ultimately than Norman Bates ever was but imagine well, sure, the same sure, sort sure. of arc where you know you uh, Paul talking about like the stepfather like the idea that this is a guy who wants the perfect like as you put it before uh you know the perfect equation right and he never gets it but what if he did and i would love to see a sequel to the resident you know had it ended the way we were talking about where you know what if he does find somebody and it kind of works you know um that would be a romantic comedy and it'd be so good but then but that's the thing is how far and I've never seen this happen before. And uh, it's funny that we were talking about Fresh at the beginning of this uh, this commentary. But yeah. I would love to see how far you could push a romantic comedy while knowing that it's still a horror movie underneath. Oof, I'm going to do it. That's my life's goal is to make the perfect horror romantic comedy. <laughs> well, like a really cool story for him would be like, you know, he still owns this apartment building. He's still going to be 
leasing out these these rooms and let's say he he does like you said he finds the perfect partner and they're together and everything's fine and then a different woman moves in that he has just a a better what he perceives as a better connection to and you know now he becomes conflicted and he's watching her and like you know, I I, I think that was describing of... you. I was literally that was describing you. I don't know what I don't know what that is. You, the TV you show would, you you would dig it. You I think, people actually. have to understand that I do not watch or pay attention to TV shows. You you know this about me. There's a show called You. Yeah, it's <laughs> and it's Netflix. a horror thing. Yes, it's like a psychological thriller thing. Do I have to add this to my very long list of things that I will eventually get to? Is it I worth have, it? I think I you would dig it. it. I really do. Okay. All right. All right. It's on the list. I'll 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 get there eventually. <laughs> also, the sequel to this movie should be called The Residence. Like nice, nice. Because then it's about the whole building now. I like it. I dig it. I like it a lot. Everyone residence, but the S is like a dollar sign. Give me gonna... <laughs> like a dollar sign. Like the money pit. Now it's exactly. becoming like like a yeah. weird okay. There's something about, okay, so even this early on, like, he, he's been so likable that even seeing him do creepy stuff this early on is more, is, you know, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. But also, like, it's weirdly sexy to watch him, like, get almost, like, their lips touching and then he pulls away, but he's kind of sweaty. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, weirdly like, yeah, kiss her. <laughs> Wow. wow like totally sexual ellie ellie twitter's gonna cancel you you have to be careful with, <laughs> with some of this stuff navigating a lot <laughs> mind field ellie please um no there's something about he's like, like i'm he, super super so into him. Assault <laughs> women, but like <laughs> well technically he doesn't he's not assaulting her there he's pulling no. away before he assaults her that's why <laughs> that's why i thought Wow, the restraint that he shows in these early scenes is just really wild. we gotta give it to him. I mean, he's really showing up here. I, I think real boyfriend material is is uh Jeffrey Dean. How many let me ask you both like he uh, okay, it's not like that role would be in some ways like any huge demand yeah. of a competent actor in a way, but at the same time, like. I don't know that I can think of too many actors that can do the kind of thing that Jeffrey Dean Morgan does where he can be gentle and he can be charming and he can be cool, but then have that darker side in a way that, you know, he's got range. It seems like he rarely seems to be able to, he does, but he rarely like, you know, he's been stuck doing the walking dead for some years and it seems like he's rarely able to kind of employ what he's well, capable and, of doing. And but don't diminish. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say he kind of excels at kind of like playing teddy bears who can maul you to death. Like he's got that charisma yeah. that makes him instantly likable if he chooses to smile. But like the moment his eyes go hard, like he can he can be terrifying in just like the snap of a finger. And so I think in a way he is kind of absolutely perfect for this role in a way that a lot of other you know, of his contemporaries might not have been able to pull off as well. No, but I also don't think, like, no offense to the men of Hammer Horror, but none of them were this good looking. Mm. Like, they found a GQ model to do this part. Like, 
and not just that, but like when he was doing Supernatural, where he's like a loving, brooding dad, and he goes on his to best, like, most iconic role. Truly, is Papa Winchester is Papa Winchester. <laughs> That's my favorite Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Thank you for mentioning Supernatural. I'm very happy. Watchmen, where he is just this superhero who's also like a monster. And like, I feel like that's when his whole thing turned and they were like, ooh, let's give Jeffrey D. Morgan all of these roles. Yeah. Thing where he uses her toothbrush. I'm like, that's such a What a nice touch. What a nice touch. I love it. It's a creepy thing. And I can't get enough of it. And he's like, I love that he's not making it like overly sexual. Like he's just like when he closes his eyes, it's just like he's just enjoying that moment. And that's what makes it so creepy is the fact that he's not overplaying it. Yeah. Well, and he feels I mean, you can tell that this character truly feels connected to her in that moment. And he's taking joy in that. And that's what's so terrifying about it. And then he is goes, that that's how he feels that connection. At least he does it in the bathtub, so it's like an easy clean, but like it's an easy clean. <laughs> yeah. Do you think he um do you think he cleans it up? Or do you think he just kind of lets it <laughs> lets it sit? I mean it's white on white. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I want to speculate on that too much. No, yeah, we don't we don't need to maybe much. she interrupted him. You never know, you know. Well, they do that that cut to her coming yeah. with the bags, and there is a. I do think the movie plays like the tension it builds in the scenes where you're intercutting between what she's doing, what he's doing in the the apartment. I, I think it's it's really smart and it works. Like when she opened that door, I was kind of like, "Oh, she's gonna catch him," and at the same time, I'm like, "Shouldn't I want her to catch him?" Like it's not a good thing that he's gonna get away. Which that's totally that goes back to the Norman Bates thing, the damn car and the swamp. You're like. Oh my God, the car isn't going to sink. Yeah, Wait a true. second. I yeah. shouldn't be wanting the damn car to sink. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and like, and, and that, that is a difference though with Norman Bates, like that movie ends in such a way where they could eventually literally turn him into a hero because in the sequels, like he's your protagonist essentially. Yeah. Um, but this movie ends in such a way where if there were sequels, you really couldn't ever make Jeffrey Dean Morgan, your protagonist. Right. No. He could he could be your anti-hero. He could be he could be sort of like he he wouldn't even be able to be like a Peter Cushing Frankenstein type because what he does is so egregious. Yeah. Unless now hear me <laughs> go hear ahead, me out. Go ahead. Yeah. Hear, hear me out. Hear me out, Twitter. Yes. Hear me out. Oh, this podcast the is problematic. Resident two. I mean it's been problematic. Resident two. Apartment book. Residence. Residence. Apartment Boogaloo. <laughs> uh, which kind of oh, okay. oddly, oddly works here. But, um, okay, let's wow. don't breathe to it. And what if in the I never sequel saw that. it doesn't exist? Yeah, I, I never saw it. No, no I, never... I, I bought it. I bought it on Blu-ray. Well, you at least, you at least know what the deal is, right? <laughs> where, they, where they turn him into an anti-hero, essentially. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So imagine, okay. I saw all the hubbub about that on Twitter. So imagine somebody like him who is the way he is and you have a couple that move into the building and maybe he takes a shine to the, the, the lady or whatever, but then he starts to get an inkling that maybe the, the guy in the relationship is abusive. Maybe you could shift things a bit where he wants to save her, but he's just as a bad human. 
Yeah, yeah, and it, that's kind of honestly, that's kind of what Don't Breathe too is, where it's like, you know he's a son of a bitch and he's done horrible things, but he's put in a position where he can do something good. And it's to me, that shit is kind of fascinating on a storytelling level. Like, how far can you push that idea? It's, yeah, it's interesting as long as you, the movie isn't trying to actively redeem that guy, I think. Given yeah. what he's done, like because I, I, I think for, redemption but, arcs work for certain acts, but not for others. Yeah, but like, I, I, I can't we say then that like I'm okay with a redemption arc for just about any type of character, as long as in the course of that redemption, the initial act itself isn't merely excused. To allow for that redemption to happen, like by trying to cover it up, by trying to pretend it didn't happen, let's not look at it too closely. That's in the past. And, you know, no, if you really want to meditate on what somebody did and how horrible it was and then try and give them an arc where they find redemption, I think, God, what a what a juggling act that would probably be. And again, you know, I think I talked about this when we talked about Don't Breathe Too a long time ago, but, you know, something like Man on Fire. You know, if you really consider where somebody yeah, like Washington's character comes from, he is very he would probably wherever he was before the events of that movie began, he probably would have been the villain in somebody else's movie. Mm. But by the end of his own, you know, he he finds something approaching, you know, salvation. And well, I and you're right. What's and you know, what's fascinating about that, Jinx, is like it's funny I feel like we're way more willing to forgive like like a like egregious murdering than something like rape. Yeah, right? we have, like, it's hard to forgive rape. That's the reality. Yeah. It's like, right. you know, uh, man on fire, you know, Denzel Washington wasn't out there raping women. He was out there murdering tons of people. Now, murder is still bad. <laughs> but like we can forgive that versus the other thing which we can't forgive as a i mean which i i don't know what that means or what that says but i think that's part of it is like for me admittedly it's it's i it's very difficult for me to watch a movie where someone sexually assaults someone and then ever have any interest in thinking of them as like a righteous person well i can you think of any movies that ever tried to actually do that though well if don't breathe two does it well, but I, that's the thing about Don't Breathe 2, and we, we don't have to do a deep dive into Don't Breathe 2, but Don't Breathe 2 was constructed, hell, Don't Breathe was constructed in such a way that it, it's not like he True. was running yeah. around forcing himself on people to, no, to say yeah, any, any unseemly and, urges. And, yeah, no, yeah. well, not even that. I mean, it's, you know, he artificially inseminates a woman who literally killed his daughter and... Like, so is it still, it, no, it's still icky as hell and it's still weird, but I'm saying that there is a line there where at least there's a possibility of that. Whereas, you know, I'm, I'm never going to want to see the dude from irreversible, uh, uh, try and clean up his act. No, yeah, I won't, I won't even watch that movie. I can't, no, I, can't I can't with that movie. I, I've never seen it and I don't plan on ever seeing it. Because... It's a brilliant movie, but it will. Yeah, uh, I'm sure it is. <laughs> I'm sure it's a great movie. No, really? but... no seriously, it, it is, you know, like so many French, no extreme movies. It is, uh, I mean, it's beautifully made and it actually has a point and, you know, the performances are great, but it will just 
fuck you up something see, that's horrific. My thing is yeah. the, the older i get the less i want something i don't want to see that unlike yeah, a lot of violence against women movies like sexual violence against women especially extreme ones yeah yeah Understand. no i get it i get it well it, it's also one of those movies too like that in a serbian film where it's like you know you watch it once and you know that's uh you're probably good uh that's have, on my list. That's on my list of no thanks. I Human a, centipede, no thanks. <laughs> um, the first one is surprisingly not that bad. It's the sequels that you want to avoid. Great. Um, I have only ever seen Lee Pace in this and like one episode of the Mindy Project. What's like his claim to fame? So he was the big villain in Guardians of the Galaxy. He was in Tarsum's follow-up to the cell called I think the fall, uh, he was great. I think he played a, uh, like a silent film era cowboy actor and he was excellent in it. Um, he was in a TV show, I think called pushing daisies. Um, that, I was going to say you're burying the lead. He's, he's the main character in pushing daisies, which is like one of the best Fuller shows joint, ever. And it's so good. Oh man. Pushing Daisies. I'm not a show person, but pushing daisies is phenomenal. Allie, how it have you not you so I, good. Allie, you will. It is your favorite new show. You just don't know about it yet. There is okay. This is one of those things. Where also, isn't he a main character in Wonderfalls? What's Wonderfalls? Wonderfalls is another Brian Fuller uh, show. Paul, I don't I'm know a because big I haven't Brian actually Fuller. seen it. I'm a oh, it's really good. Uh, I'm a big Brian oh. Fuller fan. You seen Dead um, Like Me? I love Dead Like Me. Yes. Uh, right up in. I don't like the movie, but I like the two seasons. Oh, I never saw the movie. On that show, that, it writes out um, uh, my favorite character. Uh, oh my god! Uh, okay, I can rent Pushing Daisies. It's not streaming. I can rent it and buy it. It writes out it. Uh, Rube. <gasps> uh, this is the thing. What the hell? The Mandy Patinkin character? Mandy Patinkin's not in the movie, and that's yeah. That's, what the hell? They say that he. Well, this is kind of a spo- spoiler territory, I guess, if you're ever going to watch Pushing Daisies. But Pushing Daisies is great. Um, it's one of my favorite shows of all time. It Every episode reduces me to tears. <laughs> so, okay, uh, it's, right now we're, we're missing... Sorry, I'm sorry. This is um, no, 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 Paul. I want to go back. I'm sorry for interrupting you, but I just want to point out what is happening on screen right now is some straight up like Jan Harold Brumven vanishing hitchhiker humans can like to bullshit. So can I can I ask a question about this? Did anyone else the first time they saw it, which I guess for me was this time, and I don't know about if you had seen it before, Ellie, but and wonder why she wasn't waking up? No, because he drugged her. Did, oh, so they. I must have missed that. I didn't know they that he drugged her until like yeah, he, the, he the third act when he into puts the them... the wine and then she has a glass and then now she starts having the whole thing where she like can't uh, get Okay, yeah. I I totally didn't pick it up. Such I... a weird homage to urban legend and the whole like the dog under the bed licking the fingers and then she finds out that there's no dog. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> like when I saw that I was like, "Oh, it's just like urban legend." Yeah, it's just like urban legend. <laughs> They had to in a uh, movie that is full of references to other movies. I mean, I think we haven't we haven't really discussed the seventeen Hitchcock homages that have already happened. But like, clear. I mean, he had to have been referencing that urban legend bit. Like, he had to have been. Oh yeah. Well, it's it's one of the best slashers of the '90s, so it makes sense that he would reference it. The story, as in the actual, not the movie. You know what I was talking about, Paul? No the the the, the wonderful film. Yeah, the beautiful adore. film that we love. 
So Auntie Joe Kinnan is a Finnish music video and TV director. This was his first film. And I was doing a little bit of research. He developed the story for this movie in the early aughts. And then he wrote the script. He developed the story. And then he wrote the script itself uh, alongside a writer named Robert Orr. And he described, and this this is uh, this gets a little icky. I, I can only imagine, but he described the original take on the story as, and I quote, "much more sexual," uh, which he believed kept wow. the film from being made. And then he rewrote it to be a more mainstream thriller a few years later, which eventually got him a green light a few years after that. But he said he was interested in making a movie about claustrophobia and voyeurism and was strongly influenced by Polanski, movies like The Tenant and even Hitchcock's Dial M for Murder. He said he wanted to take an American psychological thriller and hide a European film inside of it. And again, like I feel like for the first two thirds of this movie, he, he does a pretty damn good job. Of yeah, that. he succeeds yeah, yeah. So. until the ending <laughs> when it when it becomes fully American. <laughs> you know what? I want to I want to interview him so badly and just ask him, like, what was your movie? Like, was it wildly changed? Was it not? Like, I want to reach out to him and ask him. I just want to ask if ADT actually sponsored a lot of this movie because they're doing some good <laughs> I, ADT security. I texted, I texted that to Jinx. I was like, oh, ADT must have funded this film. Because <laughs> you constantly see ADT and Apple. You see Apple, Apple like, IMAX all the time. I just want to take two seconds because that's about how long he's on screen here. But we see Michael Massey walking away. He was the ADT guy who set yeah. everything up for Michael Massey played fun boy in the crow. He sadly passed away a few years ago. And um, I don't know. I just I always thought that he was a really good actor. He appeared in a lot of movies in the 90s and then not so many after, obviously, the horrible incident that happened on. the. He was actually the um, the actor who was holding the prop gun that fired the projectile that killed Brandon Lee and which is awful. And I can't even imagine, you know, having to carry something like that, even though, I mean, it's obviously not even remotely his fault, but it's still a tragedy and you still were a part of the reason that someone is no longer with us. Even if it yeah. was indirectly, it's still a shitty thing. Yeah. yeah. And so it just, it bums me out like that. He, you know, he was such a great actor and it's a shame that he didn't really, seemed to break out much after that and uh because he's always he's always solid i mean he okay. appears in what he's in this movie for 90 seconds and he he fucking nails his part okay i'm sorry this i have to bring this up the bed that christopher lee is sleeping in exact same bed that hillary swank is sleeping in so i need everyone to clock this i don't know what the significance of it is but it's the exact same bed really yes and it bugs the crap out of me because i don't know what like she brought a bed it wasn't like it was there when she got there like she just coincidentally had the exact same bed she she brought a mattress she didn't necessarily oh. bring the bed did she i thought she brought the bed because she was like oh i hate this bed. i wanted to saw it in half but you know i gotta sleep or something like that i think that was meant to be yeah i think the bed frame might have already been in place and maybe it's uniform <laughs> across the uh i love it the, the, the building that was that was real creepy just then i don't even know what you said but i'm freaked out so. i just thought it was a weird thing that they both had the same like how great would it be if we're trying to read meaning into it and maybe it just comes it down to uh you know the, the budget only allowed for one bed <laughs> we had to use it twice okay so i have to propose the question that's on all of our minds 
in 2009, the hit TV show, The Office, posed a question, is Hillary Swank hot? <laughs> How is that even a question? Yes. <laughs> I, I say yes. Oh, oh I say God, yes across funny. the board. That's like I the say- question, is Nicolas Cage a good actor? The answer is a resounding yes. Uh, oh my God. That's the she's kind of she's question. gorgeous. Yeah, what a crazy question. She's gorgeous. It's a kind of question that if you ask it, I'm, I'm judging you. Like, not you, Allie, but I'm just saying, like, whoever brought it up in the first place. Like, what the hell? Well, it's, you know, it's one of those things where she's not. Here's what I'll say uh, she is not a traditional Hollywood beauty in terms of what you would normally look for oh, she's got out of features. facial structure and things like that. They bring that up. That, like she has perfect symmetry in her face. Right. But, but regardless of that, like obviously attractiveness stems from a variety of different things. She's stunning. Um, I, I know. I agree. I'm just saying like, that's probably where like the sitcom commentary comes from. It, I mean, if you haven't watched the episode, just like that clip is on the internet and it's so funny that I'm just arguing if she's hot or not. It is funny. Well, it's like that community episode where there's a class about, <gasps> about Nicholas Nick Cage. Cage. That's my yeah, favorite. Like whether episode. or not he's a good actor. I, 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 It's a great episode, but it's a silly question. He's an amazing actor. But like, I, I get the joke you know which is mm-hmm. the whole point so yeah i don't know <laughs> I, I will say and i'm pretty. very curious to see what you both think about this at one point this movie was going to be retitled and can you imagine what the new title was going to be um take a wild shot like Brooklyn. shot in the dark uh, unless max, you already know max it. in the wall <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> no. Dial code Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it a full circle. Uh, the original title was in, or no, I'm sorry, not the original title. It was meant to be retitled Invasion of Privacy. Now we're talking lifetime here. That's a lifetime title. That is lifetime as hell. A real, real bad title. <laughs> Invasion of privacy. Invasion of privacy. Oh, this this is the part I don't like. Nope. This is when he takes it too far. It's like I'm... the movie called Domestic Disturbance. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> what like, are we what could it possibly be about? Her. Um, this has nothing to do with the movie, but the fact that she sleeps with a necklace on terrifies me because I'm always so concerned that if I sleep with a necklace on, it's going to get caught in my hair and I'm going to die in my sleep from strangulation. She also sleeps wearing, like, a lot of makeup and her hair is perfect. Yeah, she's got a full face of makeup on and, like, earrings and shit. Yeah. We think that's maybe a product of her being drugged. Like, maybe she's just, she's down. Sure. Okay, with, with... yeah, okay. true. You know what? That's right. That's, you're, you're right. Are, are we at the point, because she just had her, like, pleasant little date with Lee Pace. Are we allowed to talk about that yet? Like, yeah, let's Lee talk Pace about that son shit. of a bitch. Or should we focus on him like doing these shitty things? I feel like we've talked a lot about him we, doing the shit. We know thing. he's gonna what he's gonna do, and then we know yeah, that I'd rather we not talk about it as it's happening, if that's okay. Yeah, let's me too. It feels wrong. <laughs> so let's 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 talk about Chad. I feel like his name should be Chad. Not not Chad. Or Jake. Although Jack. Jack is a very good like every 
every other shitty. And, by, and, by, and I should note, note, I know two different Chads. I'm not making a pointed comment about either. Why do you either. hate I'm just your friend Chad about... so much? <laughs> I don't. I don't hate either of them. I'm just saying, like oh, that is that oh, seems oh, to be a name that is uh, that is employed in movies towards oh, God. I hate that. Like... I hate the needle I on the toe. Watching Sorry. the needle. I Oof. thought he was going to do it underneath the like, the nail bed, but like, oh, I hate it. Did I he have to so shove much? the needle all the way in? He didn't, but he does it. Like it's just oh. for <laughs> that would a, a needle like right under your freaking nail, like on your. T- I've oh. had that. I when I worked in a movie theater, I had to break an ice bridge in in this massive like industrial sized ice maker that we had in the back. We had to open up the top. It wasn't putting out any ice because it had all frozen in the upper compartment. Normally, what you would have to do to break that apart is take the giant fucking like sanitized. Uh, white plastic ice shovel and then just chip it away right and so i was doing this really going at it and the shovel broke through easier than i thought it was going to because i was really Mm -hmm. given a strong swing and as a result my hand carried right in and over top of the damn stainless steel edge now you imagine imagine punching something as swiftly as you could and imagine the lip the sharp stainless steel edge slamming at that speed right into your fingernail. Oh, oh. And, like I looked at it and I was shaking my hand. Uh, there's, there was a buddy of mine who was like, whoa, but easy there, buddy. And I was like, oh, I'm fine. And I was like, it just hurt a little bit. And I held up my finger. And if you could imagine, like draw a line uh, right down your fingernail, like right across from side to side, uh, midways, the bottom part of the nail popped up and then like a line of blood started seeping out and dripping had to take me to a hospital i'm sat in the emergency room the doctor comes in and he's like well you broke the nail but it's not like you lacerated the nail bed and he pulls the nail off and looks and he's like oh you lacerated the nail bed we're going to have to go ahead and stitch this up and i'm like ah, no big deal he's like first we need to numb you up and he brings in the tiniest needle you've ever seen in your life. But the problem is, is that the tiniest needle stuck into the top of your finger feels like, look, I pissed myself a little bit, like just a little bit when it happened. Like when he stuck the needle in, I'm not going to like bladder control just went out the window for 0.5 seconds. It hurt sure. so fucking bad. Uh, I don't care what Hillary was drugged with. She should have been leaping out of bed and just Superman punching Jeffrey Dean. But also she could feel that the next day. Well, that's the, you don't like, it's uh, the, it's the weirdest thing. It's like, and here's the thing. He did it once and he was like, okay, we got the middle done. Now we have to numb it from both sides. And I was like, we have to do this again. He's like, yep, hang on. And I was like, oh my God. Uh, funny into that story, he's like, well, we stitched up lacerated nail bed, and he was like, you didn't break your finger, though, but we should probably go ahead and get an x-ray. Cut to 15 minutes later. Well, you broke your finger, so, yeah, fuck that ice machine, is what I'm trying to get at here. Oh, uh, look at, look at Lee Pace, like, being Wearing a white shirt. Just, but I don't. Taking I don't his sling it. off. I hate this prank. Yeah. Let's let's talk about this guy and the problem it poses for the movie at large. <laughs> I hate the way you dress. I think we all agree, right? We all agree on this. I just I, I wish 
wasn't an ex. Like, I wish he was, like, a cool dude who, like, also worked at the hospital who, like, she finally realized, hey, he's kind of a good guy. Maybe I go on a date with him instead. That would be so much better because it would make her a fucking moron. Well, that's the thing. Okay, so the movie goes, and this is the problem, and you two just hit on it. It goes out of its way to let us know that Juliet gave up on her dream job to move to this city where she doesn't know anyone so she can be with this guy, right? Like, they they make that a plot point. Like, she came here for him only to have him cheat on her, as she says, in her own bed. (laughs) Because she's too busy with work. Right, right. And he even blames her. He blames her and she lets her. Says, yeah. And she's like, what is her line? Right. Here's the thing is the problem is, and I shouldn't call her a fucking idiot because I've known people who have gone back to bad guys and like, uh, and oh, fuck, I've, I've, I've been dumb once or twice myself, uh, not going back to guys, but still, um, no shame, no judgment. Except, but my point is, is like, they make her one, she's our lead Two, they make her smart enough to immediately fire back at his bullshit Please don't say you slept with somebody else because I worked too hard. That's exact. That's what we're screaming at the screen as audience members in that moment. And then five minutes later, they're back in bed with one another. It just it cheapens the character. It just it, it does. And it makes me sad. It's so frustrating. Like when they have their first date and and she's like, you know, I, let's not talk about that. And he's like, well, you were never around. Like, he immediately starts victim blaming. Like, he starts blaming her for his horrible decisions. And then, two se- like Jinx just said, two seconds later, they're in bed together. Like, it, it really devalues your trust in Juliet as a viewer. And again, like, yeah, I and again, I don't want to shame her because like she's being manipulated by this guy yeah but i don't know that the movie is doing a good enough job of showing that it doesn't earn that no it doesn't earn that almost makes you think like you should be happy for her like is what the movie wants you to think like oh she's back with the Yay, person she loves. she got her she right got her like guy it, back. this is a celebratory moment not a predatory one and that's a, a smarter movie would have done a better job of of making us realize she's being preyed upon by two different guys. That's a I better think, version of this film. Well, I think Allie, I Paul, I get what you're saying, and I like the idea of ha- her having to contend with two predators and not just one. You know, two entirely different types of predators. But also, like, I kind of love Allie's idea too because. You know, if she did have a guy that she was kind of sweet on at work, but, you know, nothing had really happened there, then then you wouldn't have her shutting Jeffrey Dean Moore. Presumably, I mean, I'm making this up, this pure conjecture, yeah. but based on Allie's idea, then you would have her shutting down Jeffrey Dean Morgan, not because there's somebody else in her life already waiting in the wings, but maybe because she senses that there's something off with this guy just enough. Yeah, And so that makes her smarter twofold then because now she's not like taking a, a, a cheating prick of an ex back yeah but then also what... she's seen jeffrey dean morgan for who she is and she's choosing the better guy and the better life for herself and then she gets that torn away from her in the final act because of that i just god i think that would make it such a better movie all That's the way around movie. yeah i agree it would be also i really want to point out the fact that like 
I am never on the same side as landlords. And the fact that he just keeps walking into her apartment, I'm like, nope, mm -mm. you need to provide 24 hours notice, sir. This scene is so awkward. It's so He just walks in and he's like already uncorked this bottle, found it in August's wine cellar. Like, fuck you, dude. And I got to say, this is even before. I mean, I know we knocked the action cat and mouse like, you know, action set piece stuff already. And the fact that the movie kind of devolves into that. But if I'm being honest. Even right here is where the movie starts to go downhill for me, like. I, it, I I feel like I know what this scene wants to be. And it feels like it fumbles it pretty badly. You know what I mean? Like, it just it doesn't work for me. It's not on par with everything that's come before. So to me, like the real the problems in the film, the real problems, like actually kind of start. At this moment, you know what I mean? Well, and we've just been sort of given the horrific information yeah, of what he's actually been doing, as has her. And also, so, her acting in that scene is so beautiful and so spot on, and you can just like the having to watch what he did, not knowing in her yeah. facial reaction is too much. She's so fucking good. She deserves those two Oscars. The tears, the shaking, the 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 gasp, and like the it's real. It's it's one thousand yeah. percent like you feel what she's feeling in that moment, which again is kind of like why the scene just kind of. It, it undercuts it for me a little bit, but that's again, I don't think that's necessarily the fault of the actors. Uh, I, I, it's probably not even the fault of the original writers. Like all of this to me feels like post studio note. Let's recut this thing to be more mainstream thriller. Well, I, I, one thing I do like about this scene though, is as, as sort of her realizing how she's been gaslit this whole time, you know, she regresses to a point of, well, I just have to sort of placate him to get him away, which feels very unfortunately real. You know, like, how do I get this person out of my apartment so I can actually get help? Um, so she sort of reverts to trying to, you know, be nice to him and be quiet. And and it's really, really sad and affecting. And then when he starts getting aggressive with her, you know, then you start feeling like the fear that she feels. I, I actually think in some ways this scene does. I, for me, it actually plays fairly well. It's Do you feel it, like it would have been better if it had been more protracted then? Because to me, it just feels it. It doesn't feel real because everything happens as quickly as it does. Well, yeah, like it, right. Yeah, the minute. Yeah. The minute they start fighting, that's when it loses me. Mm -hmm. uh, everything up until the fight. As a matter of fact, I'm, everything I'm that you said earlier. Paul, like you, like her really calling him out, right? And mm -hmm. calling him for his bullshit. That's how this scene should have ended. If you wanted to have mm -hmm. the big fight scene between him, the two of them, fine. Mm -hmm. But this scene should have given her that moment, you know? Yes. And and it didn't. Also, I truly needed some backstory into seeing him installing these locking devices on her door. Because <laughs> it just seems like they magically appeared there. Also... There are two different scenes where wine bottles break and the red wine looks so much like blood. And I have dropped an entire wine bottle. It does not look that red. Well, this is hammer. Yeah. So blood doesn't look like blood. Wine doesn't look like wine. <laughs> well, also, it's like old wine, right? It's like super old wine. 
Well, even I mean, most we... most of the wine I buy is from the grocery oh. store, so I'm assuming that my wine isn't good wine. No, but even when she's like in the tub by herself in the beginning, and she like gets startled and knocks the yeah, glass, that's true. It looks, like, it looks like a pot. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's a good call. So you know, if you wanted to, if you took this exact, if it weren't a mini Hitchcock, and you transplanted this entire movie back to early '70s Hammer. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I want to see the version of this movie. I mean, obviously, you couldn't get away with the security camera, so who knows how she figures it out. But you know what? Jeffrey Dean Morgan is a vampire. He really likes yeah. her, but yeah. he's letting himself in when she's asleep, and he's taking the occasional nip out of her neck. And, uh, yeah. and then off he goes. Let's cast that movie real quick. Ooh, yeah. 19, early 70s, who would be the – you know what? I, I know Early that we 70s? should either say Cushing or Lee, but uh, well, not I'm going to say Ralph Bates. <laughs> Ralph Bates, 100%. If we want to go like mid-70s, Shane Bryant. Yeah, it would have been Cushing if we were talking like early 60s. But oh, like, early 60s, yeah, Cushing as hell. But early 70s would be Bates. Yeah. Yeah. I would or, like to think you know, Christopher mid, Lee mid would play Christopher we Lee, done... but just in old man makeup. <laughs> yeah, it'd still be, I like I like that. It'd still be Christopher Lee. <laughs> Barbara, early 60s Barbara Shelley is... Oh, uh... Barbara Shelley. How good would that be? That would be so good. I would I would like to see this imaginary movie. Veronica Veronica Carlson, early seventies. It would be Veronica Carlson, but man, Bar- just the idea of Barbara Shelley in this movie. Oh. See, and I almost think, well, yeah, we it would be a different movie too because it would be it would it would definitely pull back on the sexual stuff. It'd be a lot more insinuation, which might actually help a movie like this. In some Agreed. Ways. Um, I almost think in some ways it's a bit, <laughs> this makes me sound uh, like, yeah, but it, it's almost like too much for, I think, what this movie's trying to be, given the ending that it provides us with. Um, you know, get, like we were saying, like, the only way this has a satisfying conclusion is if he's really, truly called out for his bullshit, and he never is. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think, you know, you either have to have that happen where you have that big cathartic moment with her. I mean, and this sounds like polar opposites, and, well, that's only because they are. But, I mean, it's, Paul, to your idea, like it should either end that way with her having that great moment of catharsis or, Allie, it ends the way that you mentioned where, you know, she dies and it's a cautionary tale. I would have liked it if she died i would have liked to have seen another movie that really dives into his backstory and like really brings up like maybe he had some fucked up high school girlfriends and like like he's always just been dysfunctional and maybe his parents beat him he watched christopher lee do this to women oh, that's the, what i think the through that's the- how you end this movie then because like uh, and I wonder if that wasn't meant to be in some small way. We talked about the stepfather earlier, but I mean, maybe a nod, maybe, um, huh? the mirror thing, the mirror door thing. I don't know. Love the mirror um, door. But no, if he wins and she dies, the end of this movie is totally like another A-list starlet showing up for a cameo at the end, popping up on his doorstep, you know. Uh, yeah. uh, renting the apartment out that he is just yeah. refinishing. And here's the thing that kind of throws that moment into a darker light too early on where he's redoing the apartment. 
you look at the shit that he's doing to this apartment right now, trying to get at her. Who's to say that that didn't happen right before she got there with somebody completely different, you know? It does bring up the fact that, you know, people are moving out of the building, so he's renovating as they move out. And it's like, is he doing this to other people in the building? Is this every floor of the building that has these weird secret rooms? And Oh, I like it w- that. It would have been, been cool if she through this scene running through the walls came upon like a, like a part of the, the wall that was just like filled with like skeletons, <laughs> just like decaying bodies and shit or just, you know, like whatever or it just is. Like, like photos of other people who have lived there over the years. Totally. And like, yeah. yeah. And she's yeah, just, I, like I think there face. is a, I think, I think this is well, and the movie sort of, I don't know. I feel like it insinuates that that's probably the case, but I wish it had gone deeper into that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All of this is just, it's, and here's the thing. It's like all of this stuff even kind of fails on a thriller level. Like it's not terribly exciting. It's not intense. No, it's boring. It's It's not as boring beautifully made as the rest of the film it just feels kind of cobbled together you know like yeah and i and i wonder if that doesn't account you know if that's what you're leaving most audiences with i wonder if that doesn't account for the film's reception where everybody leaves with a bad taste in their mouth and they forget that the first two-thirds of the movie was actually damn good yeah the ending kind of spoils the beginning well Especially given that, like, literally once we hit, like, 20 minutes to the end, the whole thing is just one long chase sequence. And that's it. There's nothing more to it. You get no additional narrative, plot, anything. You just get them fighting and chasing each other for 20 straight minutes. And when the fight's over, the credits roll. Michael Myers using a two-before satisfying. Break open the uh, ceiling, the, trying to knock this, Laurie down. Yeah. This I, twenty minute sequence should have been five minutes. Like, yeah. there, there's no reason it should be this long, other than to pad out the runtime. Yeah, that which also, for the life of me, I do not understand. It's like, you know what? Make the damn movie seventy minutes, seventy five mm-hmm. minutes. That's fine. Give me, give me a great short movie. You know, over like a really dull full feature length film. Like, I don't think, does anybody give a rat's ass if they buy a ticket these days and they see a movie that's under 85 minutes? Is anybody crying foul that they didn't get a full feature? No. Like I, no, I'm excited. I feel like it's, (laughs) I'm excited when it's under 90 minutes. I get super excited because I'm like, I don't have time for this, but in Toronto, there's this weird vibe where everyone is either mad that the movie is too long. So it's over two hours or they're mad that it's too short where it's under 90 minutes. And it's like, I hate everyone. <laughs> we don't have I do, to I do feel like up. movies, I am a curmudgeon uh, when it comes to length because I do think movies are getting way too fucking long. Almost every movie I see, I'm like, that could be 20 minutes shorter. There's no reason. They're These really... Marvel movies that are two and a half hours long, I'm like, what the fuck are we doing? Oh, I don't why why are these so long? Maybe I, I hope one of you can convince me that I'm wrong about this and what's on screen is actually appropriate. But if she is actually going to dispatch him, you know, if we're really doing that thing where she's toting around a weapon and she's going to do him in that way, given everything that's come before, shouldn't it have been more overtly phallic? I don't 
I mean, I this conversation. Think so. I like that they're both like he's been so sweaty ever since he started being creepy, and I don't know if that's like a a cinematic choice. They're like, okay, now that we know he's a creep, let's make him sweaty in every single scene. Oh, they try and spinel him a bit. Mm-hmm. Like that. It's just yeah. Like, there's there's a bit of we were talking about references. There's a bit of maniac in this movie a little bit. Um, see that. But I I mean the phallic thing. She does sort of she shoots him with a nail gun. <laughs> So she nails it. I mean, that's kind yeah, of Yeah, I guess. I it just seeing her walking around like toting a power tool doesn't feel as powerful as given her violation, like she had dispatched him with well, sure. Yeah, know, I mean it like it it's emasculating though. I mean, in his eyes, I think. Like cause the nail gun is like a very like oh, I'm a manly man, I have tools and shit like that. But 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 it's it's uninspired generally. I mean, which this whole ending is. I, I I, I think it would have been more interesting if she had drugged him in a similar way where he was sort of like awake and cognizant of what was going on, but out of it, not able to move. Um, and then like had her speech, you know, and then maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Called the cops. I don't know. Got him. Well, you were no, 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 no. Let's let's rewind it about two seconds. You were going to go somewhere real dark there. I felt yeah, it. Where, like, where are we on. going with that? Come on, Paul. I was not going to suggest that she rapes him. No, <laughs> that would make her. That would. But the problem is that brings him to, brings her to his level, and we don't want to do that with our protagonists, right? Don't don't we? In this case, I don't know. You know, I'd, I'd be fine with, if she with the nail gun. <laughs> I mean, there's got to be a broom in there somewhere. I'm just saying. Too dark. Huh. Yeah, too dark. I mean. <laughs> I'm not saying he wouldn't deserve it. And I'm not saying I'm we saying... shouldn't have more male rape in movies. It's always women getting it, all right? That is the problem with modern day film. <laughs> it needs more male rape. It needs more male. Just like I'm not, I don't <laughs> Those know. damn Marvel movies are so limited in scope. Yeah. Just like my They're also kind of ugly, but <laughs> Yeah. I don't want to look at a bunch of penises, but I think more men should get nude in movies just to even the playing field with how many women have been naked in movies constantly since like the beginning of time. Well, there's that great scene in Euro Trip where a bunch of naked men run by <laughs> on the nude beach. Yeah. See, we need more of that. Like every movie now, like Euphoria is pretty good with showing a lot of dick, but like more actors, especially A-listers, just start showing their peens. Again, not because I want to see it, because of equality. <laughs> This is uh, X will uh, X delivers on that front. I'm just throwing that out there on that front. Yeah. On the dick front. Yeah. yeah it's dick. equal, equal opportunity. New on, the full front? The board, so. <laughs> on the full frontal. Uh, one good thing about this ending is Lee Pace dies. And that's awesome. But, and just even, okay. When she walks away there, they do that weird post-process slow motion thing where you yeah. can tell it's like, well, we didn't plan for this, but we got to yeah. kind of fuck with it to give ourselves an, like, what was the real ending? Yeah. The ending is, the ending is pretty much flat out bad. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it is, it's just bad. It doesn't. So I, they could have ended it on his face and not done a shot of the Brooklyn bridge. Like we didn't need, we, we know they're in New York. We know where they are. Yeah. It just felt it's like, like b-roll it's like how there was that like 10 year period in the late 90s and early 2000s where every animated film just ended with like the characters having a dance party 
because they didn't know how to end their movies. It was like, let's have, they sing a song and dance. And that's the end of the, like, like the Shrek movies and shit. It's just like, we don't know how to end this movie. So here's, <laughs> here's all the characters singing and dancing and having fun. And that's the end of our movie. And yeah. every once in a while, like, you know, like a movie will come around along and, and they'll do that because they don't know what the fuck to do. And that's how this movie feels to me. It's like ending with a dance sequence. They just don't know what to do or how to end their movie. So they just sort of, here's an establishing shot of the city again. Fade to black <laughs> Allie, paul hang on to your hats this movie should have ended with a dance sequence i mean just her and the other nurses dancing in the so, er so you basically know, going, like like zootopia to, that shit <laughs> going back to fresh again i'm just saying like dance that sequence. movie knew how to employ a dance sequence it was such a cute dance sequence true I liked Fresh. I don't think I liked Fresh as much as you guys, but I liked it. I thought it was good. I watched it like four times in three days. So, yeah. Yeah. I thought thought it was good. It's been all about the cannibal movies recently, like Texas Chainsaw, Fresh. uh, Ravenous. Give me me more cannibals, I guess is one of them. I got to watch Ravenous. I'm excited about Ravenous. Oh, you're going to watch it and be like, this is the greatest movie ever made. That's good. Okay, so final thoughts, wrapping up The Resident. This is the second film in New Hammer's run. Um, about as far away from what most people would think of as Hammer Horror, and yet closer to true Hammer than most would expect, I think. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of, uh, kind of flick in that regard, and uh, totally valid entry, and... Uh, Again, even for all of the uh, the poo we flung at the uh, the final minutes of the movie, overall, I still think it's far better than people give it credit for. I do, too. In fact, I'm going to coin a new phrase right now. This was an elevated lifetime film. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I liked it. I thought it was really good um, for the most part. I think it's much better than it. Yeah, its reputation holds. Um, really fun movie. Uh, the performances were fantastic. Um, other than the third act, <laughs> I liked it a lot. I I wish our protagonist was stronger willed in the face of toxic masculinity. And I wish it had more to say. But I think it's a really fun movie that's definitely worth checking out. So uh, everybody, uh, thumbs up. Better than Scream? Better thumbs, than Scream? Thumbs way oh. Yeah, way better than Scream 5. I'll watch okay. a million of these. Way better than Scream 5. But, I mean, that's most movies, isn't it? Most yeah. movies are better than Scream 5. <laughs> We're going to get canceled for this. <laughs> I don't care. You know, it is funny. I uh, We got a couple of minutes. What the hell? Let's go ahead and burn them on more Scream talk. But I actually threw up, like, the most innocuous tweet about Scream when I first saw it, because I wasn't even fully, like, my my hate had not fully risen for the film yet. And uh, I, I just posted something. I think it was like, isn't it funny that the original trilogy was all about making this point that it's not the movie's fault? And then this new movie is all about, like, hey, this is all due to the movies and what has happened. And so I had people coming out of the woodwork, like, saying, like, no, 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 you don't, no, that's not because it's, it's about toxic fandom and you know, no. And I'm just like one, 
people suck. Like, I you disagree with me all you want. Like, call me names if you if you would like. Uh, God forbid we have a, a, a just a decent back and forth. But I, I literally can't imagine, no matter how bad anyone's take on a movie is, rather than approaching them with, I disagree and here's why, I can't imagine just telling somebody, no. Like, just that, be better, dim no. people. Be better. Well, uh, and what's what's hilarious about that is they're basically even though they don't see it this way, they're becoming the very toxic fans <laughs> that they're attempting <laughs> to deride. That's, that's exactly what they are. And that's, what's so frustrating about the, the, the fandoms around these things is they act all high and mighty. Like, Oh, we have to navigate toxic fans who don't like our movie, but that in and of itself is being fucking toxic to people who have a different opinion than their own. I who are being it. way less argumentative and combative than they are, you know? I tweeted right after that. I was like, let people dislike things. You know, we mm-hmm. had this thing for the longest time where anybody would get attacked for liking something. And so for the longest time, like, you know, a, a Twitter war cry or at the very least a hopeful mantra was, uh, you know, let people like things, let people enjoy like things, that. you know? And I'm like, you know, at this point, like if I'm if I'm going to throw out like a softball criticism on a movie and you're going to lose your shit over that. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say, let people dislike things, let people hate things. You know what? It's, it's equally as valid. <laughs> you don't like it. Shut up. Just yeah. shut up. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a weird guy. I've, and I, you know, one time, um, I posted about not liking worst of lists. I, I talked about not liking that or like, talk, I, I think I said something along the lines of like, Oh, post about things you like, not things you hate. And I actually got called out for that. Like a couple people came after me and were like, well, it's okay to, you know, like, what are you saying? We're not allowed to not like that. I was like, no, I, I was just saying, why would you spend your time going after things you hate rather than lifting up things you love? That's all. And I, sometimes it feels blah, 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 blah. But Paul, how dare you? I know. But like at the same time, I was, I, I think the problem is, I think this is the problem with something like Twitter is you're limited on what you can say. You can't qualify every statement with every possible angle that you think about that statement. So sometimes you say something, people read that and they see it as some definitive sentence that embodies everything you believe as opposed to a nuanced statement. And they don't allow for that nuance to enter into the conversation. And it becomes toxic because of that. Uh, and I'm changing a bit how I think about things in that I, yeah, feel, I think that the new mantra should just be feel how you feel, express it and start a conversation. It, it shouldn't be about some definitive answer to a question. Like, is this movie good or bad? There's no answer to that. Like people who like scream six, like, or five, six people like scream five. Like they like it. That's fine. I don't give a shit. If you don't like it, if I don't like it, here's why I can, I can say my reasoning that doesn't make me mean or hateful or in any way against those who do like it. Uh, it's just how I feel. And, and yet I do think some people really struggle to sort of rectify other people's opinions with their own. Um, exactly. Or feel and that's attacked. kind of where we are. Like, you know, if you like something and you post that you like something and then a bunch of assholes start replying then you are being attacked 
for just having an opinion on something you like. Sure. But if somebody else independent of you posts uh, an opinion that runs counter to yours, you are not being attacked. Like you, you can just sit that one out. It's fine. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, I just, I do not get it. But the um, responses run both ways too, you know, cause it's sometimes you do try to just enter in different opinion. They're like, why would you come onto my post and say a different opinion than mine? You know, like th- there yeah. are, Hey, our, day Twitter is trash. All right. Right. There, there <laughs> well, the are a poll, lot of angles to consider. <laughs> yeah. Paul, you, you have a very good point, which is like, just, yeah. Re- okay. Replying and attacking somebody and just being hateful. Like that movie sucks. I don't know why anybody would like that. It's like, shut sure, the fuck. Sure, 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 sure. But if you, if you come in and say like, I actually had a different take. I didn't care for that movie so much because this and this and this didn't work for me. And then somebody comes back with, Oh my God, did you have to reply with like your negativity? <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, did you have to post publicly? Like I, you know, it's <laughs> surprise, surprise. You're yeah, here you are. It's like, yeah. But, you know, so my my strategy is generally to just kind of keep to myself. But I, I, I do think <laughs> that, um, yeah, I mean, certainly that's crazy that you could say something really level headed about not liking Scream 5 and then having a bunch of people be like, fuck you. <laughs> that's wrong. There was, there was literally like a mutual, like a guy that I respected, a guy who may or may not have been on this podcast before, who I always looked up to, like, and thought he was like a cool guy, like. No, uh, <laughs> literally like Vanderbilt. Actually, <laughs> Vanderbilt. By, uh, Travis Vanderbilt. We need to have it back on. Um, Fucking Vanderbilt. Okay, did I love you. you guys, love you, Vanderbilt. Like, I feel so bad. Perfect. I was actually supposed to be on um, uh, an episode of Halloweenies, and yesterday I had like you all can probably still hear it in my voice a little bit, but like I I've been hit this past week with like this. I I don't want to look too closely at it in hindsight. I didn't consider it at the time, but like really, really bad head cold slash allergy sinus thing or whatever. And that's what I just assumed that it was. And then literally like Saturday night, I I got in touch with one of the Halloweenies guys and I was like, you don't know how badly I want to do this episode there. I don't know if I can spill what the movie was going to be because they haven't announced it yet, but it's a really awesome movie. It's a great podcast. I can't wait to hear the episode. I wanted so badly to be on because they had another amazing guest on with them. And I literally Saturday night was like messaging, like, I'm so sorry. I can't, you do not want me on your podcast sounding like, Hello, everybody. I really like this movie, too. And, uh, you know, George C. Scott is the greatest. And, uh, you know, like, it was that bad. Um, George C. Scott, huh? uh, Yes. So that narrows it down a little bit. But, no, uh, the Halloweenies guys are awesome. I love Vanderbilt. I love the entire crew there. I can't wait to listen to the episode. It just bums me out that I probably blew the one chance I had to be on that show. Uh, But so it goes. I, I, I rather better I not show up then I show up and then like screw up that episode. So they, I think they were better off without me in the shape that I was in, I guess yesterday morning. Um, but yeah, no, uh, fuck took the long way around there. Um, no, it was somebody who had appeared on the show before and yeah, they kind of, ah, fuck, I'm going to cut all this out anyway. It doesn't matter. Never mind. Okay. So the more important question is, did Vanderbilt send either of you guys a, a weird care package? No, he didn't. I, d- I did not get a care package from Vanderbilt. I feel sad now. Oh, yeah. Vanderbilt, you, where's you, my care package? You know, you yeah, he knows you guys way better. Yeah, he messaged me out of the blue and was like, hey, give me your address. And I was like, sure, stranger on the internet. 
And it's just like a bunch of buttons that say I'm a Vanderbilt and who the <laughs> fuck is Mike Vanderbilt? And then he sent along. The- Allie, <laughs> Allie, I'm just saying, like, if you put yourself and me and Paul in a lineup, this feels like the easiest analogy quiz to ace. Um, so <laughs> that's why that's for the side. He sent an eight by ten photo of him sitting like naked in that wicker chair. What? <laughs> I've seen that photo you're talking about. It's funny as hell. Um, I don't. Jesus. I don't think this is as hard to suss out as you think it is. Um, but I will. I will say no more. But apparently he sent them to because I saw it on Twitter they sent it to a couple of people and I was like, okay, so I'm not the only one. This wasn't a man. Week so so what I'm hearing is Jinx got invited on his podcast. You got a care package, <laughs> and I've gotten literally nothing okay but mike, I, I feel like mike i'm not invite me liked, it was the other uh, mike it was, it was mike pub. rothman so am i am i the lowest on no. the rung on the on the hammer pub co-host no hey <laughs> hey 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 i just want to say one thing paul sure. you and i invited michael Verratti on hammer pub like ages ago before he ever met Allie, and yet Allie has scored a slot <laughs> On Michael's podcast, not that I'm That's a good point. I'm kidding. That's actually awesome, Ali. I can't wait. No, it's amazing. And and, and again, I'm fine. Look, I'm just happy to be here. The fact that anybody wants to talk to me at all has always blown my mind. So I appreciate you two uh, letting me on, (laughs) even though I'm not as uh, prolific or uh, successful. The minute Well, I'm, you know. Paul can say that I'm angry and I want a word with Verati. So, you know. No, you all need to have a word with Mike Vanderbilt and be like, <laughs> where are my nude photos? <laughs> Allie, do, do us a favor. And when you guest on uh, Midnight Mass, just kind of plug in like, hey, you know, Paul and Jinx would be really good guests. <laughs> oh, I will. I will. Okay, just so the only reason I even got considered for Midnight Mass is the one day where I did like a solo Pamela Anderson double feature and just went on on Twitter about how great barbed wire was. And I love barbed wire, is, damn it. Yeah, and my I thought, like, hey, I thought that's what it was because I saw him respond to that. Yeah, and that was basically yeah. I I figured that's what it was, but still, um, that's awesome, and I can't wait to hear the episode. I like that podcast a lot. So, yeah, that's and awesome. Allie, you are you are a delight uh, <laughs> to have on any podcast. Which, by the way, I gotta get you on a Dead Ringers. Would you come on a Dead Ringers? I would love to come on Dead Ringers. Okay. We're going to get you on Dead Dead Ringers here soon. We'll do I'll be on all the podcasts. I've already agreed to be on a bunch that I don't even think are real podcasts. I think people are <laughs> like, hey, can I talk to you on the phone? <laughs> they, they just want to call you. <laughs> can we send you photos? Podcasts, but it's just them. My God. Okay. So we're going to cut back in here in three. I'm- I said, I'm going to send Ellie a care package and all that's going to be in it is dial code Santa Claus. <laughs> okay. Oh God. We are okay. We are rapidly approaching midnight. This is why I said 1145. <laughs> I actually needed it to be midnight. So that's why oh, I made it a quarter. I'm till, sorry, Jinx. So. This is oh, no, 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 no. You're, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody. Uh, okay. Let's cut back in in three, two, one. Okay, so that was our conversation on The Resident. We are barreling toward the ending of our Hammer journey. Next week, or here in two weeks, you know, whenever it shows up, we are going to be doing a talk on Wakewood. And Allie, 
Paul, I don't know if you've seen this one, but it is something special. I love it. It is it is a folk horror mini masterpiece that I adore. So, uh, And I believe we are actually going to have a very special guest on for that episode as well. I'm not going to spoil it here, but uh, hopefully they'll be able to make it on. And we'll be a quartet rapping about this awesome movie. Mm-hmm. Now, before we go, Allie, Paul, Allie, of course, you'll go first. Can you tell everyone out there in listener land where they can find you at online and what we can keep an eye out for from you in the future? Ooh, okay. I'm really excited to like actually get to talk about this. Uh, there is an online subscription company called Naughty Knickers, and they are like an online underwear company that's very inclusive towards like women and body types and everything. And I just did a commercial for them, so that should be popping up in everyone's like Instagrams, TikToks, Facebooks. If you're following that brand or you follow women's underwear, which I'm sure everybody does, you are all gonna see me in my in my underwear, in these commercials promoting body positivity. I feel like Jeffrey Dean Morgan's Max from The Resident would be down with these commercials. They are, because they're all about, like, including, like, every woman deserves to feel sexy, and that's, like, their brand is so great. So me with my little COVID body, which isn't where it was at, like, two years ago, but I'm very excited to, like, be embraced by this family, so that will be coming out very soon. And otherwise, you can find me across all social medias, including TikTok, which is the only one I care about now because I'm in my 30s and 30-year-olds are on TikTok. Uh, <laughs> at the Alley Chapel. Follow me across the board. <laughs> Especially on that TikTok. All right, Paul, how about you? Well, apparently, I have to get on TikTok because I'm in my 30s. So. Um, you got I'm 40. I, Where the hell do I land? You have to get on all the social medias. You gotta say hip with the kids, all right? I think I, I might be. First I want to be I'm hip sorry. with the kids. I my, yeah, my kids. I don't know if they would call me hip. I, I'm thinking if I asked them if I was hip, the answer would probably be no. Um, I am on Twitter uh, at Paul is great two thousand. It's a very modest handle, uh, and I generally tweet about movies and stuff. And things like that. So find me there. And I am on uh, Instagram. I often forget to say that. And I don't post there all that often. But I uh, I do sometimes. So you can follow me there too. Rock on. Uh, listeners out there, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Jinx1981. That is J-I-N-X-1981. Uh, I'm on Instagram. That is Jinx740941. Sorry about that. Just want it noted here that Scream Addicts is produced by Brad Bear. It is edited by Seth Bear. Uh, it occurs to me that we don't give those guys enough credit. I certainly haven't, and I apologize for that. So I just wanted to throw that shout out to the guys. Find them on social media. I wish I had them here. Otherwise, Ali, Paul, thank you both so much for co-hosting. As always, who is pounding their keyboard like a maniac right now? It's definitely not me responding to an email. <laughs> <laughs> I think it I think it was her responding to an email person. And thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below, scream at us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Scream Addicts. Thanks so much, folks, and we will see you next time. Have a great weekend. Bye. 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 Okay, you already said bye. Knock it off. Well then stop recording. <laughs>